And welcome to the Hellmouth. And when we were young, a podcast recently voted number one best podcast on earth by a voting body comprised solely of the hosts of this podcast. This is a podcast devoted to our favorite pop culture from our formative years, roughly 1980 to 2000. In every episode, we take a look at a piece of pop culture from the past, discussing what it meant to us then, and debating whether or not it still holds up now that we're old. Hey. I'm not old. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm Chris, your host, most likely to die twice. Hi, I'm Becky, the host most likely to make shows of trading blows, just hoping no one knows that I've been going through the motions. Walking through the part? <laughs> Nothing seems to penetrate my heart, Chris. <laughs> I'm Seth, the co-host most likely to be beeped if the apocalypse comes. Indeed. <laughs> so before we begin, I have a little question I want to see if you guys can answer, a little trivia. Back in the mid-90s, I was known to watch a certain WB show <laughs> that aired on Monday nights and took place in a fictional California town. It started an attractive young cast, several of whom would go on to star in some hot teen movies from this era. Can anyone guess the name of that show? It was Charmed. Ew. It was not Charmed. It was Seventh Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> the squeaky clean show about a Christian minister and his family that aired at 8 p.m. on Mondays. My mom was a big fan of the show, so it was kind of our family show to watch when I was a little, maybe too old to be watching, but it was fine. <laughs> I was in a party of five household myself. Oh, we did that one, too. We did that one, too. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, so one day I just happened to leave the TV on after uh, Seventh Heaven was airing, and the show that aired on WB on Mondays at 9 p.m. Does anyone know what that one was? Charmed. Still holding on, Charmed. <laughs> Fuck Charmed. <laughs> it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh. And so that's what we we're focusing on in this episode. Our last episode was talking about TV that became movies, and now we're talking about a movie that became a TV show. For those of you listening, if you know a single thing about me, it might be that I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I, In my life, I have been very well known for that fact. A little bit less so now, but, you know, various posters and books and DVDs. I sent out a monthly newsletter saying that Chris loves Buffy, <laughs> but... I want to I wanna talk about, I mean, I'm getting way ahead of the fact, but the one thing that I really took away from watching these Buffy episodes was realizing the references to all of your live journal posts, Oh, Chris. my God. <laughs> no, we need to get into oh this boy. before we begin. I was planning to bring that Every up. episode Good title Lord. was like, oh, that's what Chris was referencing oh. in his live journal post from 2002. <laughs> <laughs> no, every other line. I Like, this, this was a Rosetta Stone. This was the first time I had seen this show and watching these episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that Chris curated for us was a Rosetta Stone into his entire creative sensibility um, yes. and his entire live journal. So this and what was your screen name, Chris? 5x5. Five 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 five. Five. And that five was by 5 which is a reference five. to Faith. <laughs> A character that we'll discuss a little bit later. Let's go over all of our live journal. Mine was Raven McCoy 83. Mine was As in Dreams. They're still up there. You mean too. Asian Dreams? Everyone thought it was Asian Dreams. <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. But we're still super young. 
So this is our first 70-hour episode of When We Were Young, (laughs) in which my co-host will sit here silently while I go through all 144 (laughs) episodes chronologically and highlight each and everything I like about each one of them. Ken Burns Buffy. Please enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I did... um, Since, as you heard, my co-hosts were not quite as big of Buffy fans as I was, you know, they just were one step down from me on the Buffy fan ladder. I didn't need to bring uh, reinforcements. (laughs) So um, someone else who's a fan of the show. So reinforcement, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, Hi, my name is Kevin Murray, and I will be uh, backing up Chris. Chris needed backup, (laughs) as they say in the musical. (laughs) You know, tag each other whenever you need to switch out. Uh, We've got a bucket of water over in the corner, and you can dump it on each other just to revive, you know. And this is seriously the only episodes that both of you have seen? No, I've... Well, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've seen maybe 10 in my entire life oh, wow. and then a bunch that Chris assigned to us yeah. <laughs> this time I hadn't seen before and some I had. Okay. So I've now maybe seen 15 episodes total. Gotcha, gotcha. I had literally never seen, I don't think a full five minutes of this show. Wow. Yeah. Which is, it's an, I consider it an accomplishment. <laughs> Having I lived with Chris for a year. Yeah, did you forcibly stay away from it? Or? Um, yeah, I would wear you know those glasses that like kids would slack off in class and <laughs> wear the glasses with open eyes so it would look like they're awake. So just a bit of new business before we get going. Um, give us reviews. That's it. Just write us reviews on iTunes and do that. Y'all, tell us how much you like us. It's it's a little thing, but it means so much. Uh, especially because we produce this show for free and share it with you. And our egos are desperately in need of feeding. All right, so um, for our guest here, Kevin, uh, who may or may not know how we operate here at When We Were Young, we also... Hear the house rules. <laughs> no talking. <laughs> <laughs> no. We often like to start with a question that just kind of generally takes us back to our younger days um, that's like loosely related to our topic. So this week's uh, prompt is, was high school hell for you? So uh, I don't know if you want to go first, if that puts you on the spot or, you know, we can. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine to go first. All right. Let's go for it. Let's get to know our our little guest. Cool. So high school. High school, I wouldn't say was complete hell, but uh, middle school definitely was. Mm. Uh, I always felt in middle school that I never sort of had a main friend group and, you know, you were always uncomfortable with your body. And it was, I don't know, it was just was a terrible, terrible time. But high school was, high school was okay. High school was, I feel like I started to find my own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Seth? Um, high school was miserable. <laughs> That's shocking. Yeah, you say. Well, I went to one school from kindergarten through eighth grade. So going to high school was both starting that completely different experience where you're a quasi adult with even more intense than adult feelings and no vocabulary to talk about those. And also simultaneously establishing a whole new friend group all at once. Um, yeah, it was it was hell for me. And surely a large part of that hell was self-inflicted, but not entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Battling your demons. Yeah, yeah. That's the major metaphor. Yeah. 
I loved high school. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's because she was followed around by raccoons while singing Disney pop songs. That, Get was, out. that was middle school. No, I actually, I actually <laughs> loved high school. And whenever I would watch a movie where, you know, there's jocks and nerds and yeah. getting stuffed in lockers <laughs> and getting beat up and... I don't know. Like that, that wasn't my experience at all. And I know that there are people that in my high school that probably had terrible high school experiences. Well, but even while they were going to school with you, <laughs> I thought you brought sunshine to everybody's life. I just got to do whatever I wanted to do in high school. By that I mean she I was in was, charge of a gang. I was in choir. I was in show choir. I was in drama. I was on. You know, I did photography. I was on the newspaper. I was the entertainment editor of newspaper. Becky went um, to a high school by herself. <laughs> wow. I was homeschooled. She was homeschooled. <laughs> All of her friends loved her. No, I, I think what I liked so much about high school is the fact that before high school, my elementary school years were fucking hell. Um, that's where I was made fun of every day. And that's where I didn't have any friends. And I was going through hell every single day. I went to school and I went to junior high with everyone I went to elementary school with. So even after I like changed how I looked and lost weight and like cut my hair and got contacts, even then, like I think everyone that went to school with me, um, or at least my perception was that they still saw me as like this fat girl. That's the nerd. And, you know, not not cool in any way. Can I ask a question? What? Was Freddie Prince Jr. the one who did all that to you? <laughs> yeah. And was Pri it a bet? The Freddie Prince Jr. in my soul <laughs> came out and took the ponytail out and <laughs> took the glasses empowering. off. Um, but I... <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. I, that's when I just soul. started like changing myself, like changing myself in physically, but also like in a good way. Like I got confidence and everything. But then I uh, specifically went to a different high school outside of my district. So I didn't go to high school with anyone that I went to school with previously and I got to start fresh and no one knew me before you know I was 14 years old so they didn't have any opinions of me before then to like carry with them and I think that helped me really really enjoy high school that I got to like start fresh and just do all these fun things that I wanted to do and I met like a great group of friends that I'm still like friends with and I had great teachers and like looking back on it high school is probably like some of the best years I've ever had. You gotta shout out that high school. Calhoun High School. <laughs> I've been there. Yes. <laughs> Chris came back with me to see a play. I um, did. Uh, our sophomore year of college? Junior, junior, year, I think. junior yeah. college, um, and oh, it was a great wow. play. We saw it was a lay miss. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And Becky I, was just standing in the middle of the aisle, like <laughs> wasn't even in play. It wasn't even in play. <laughs> uh, but I left high school, so whenever I see movies about that, I'm just like, sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Granted, though, she, she does yell that at people in almost any movie we see. It's just kind of her thing. Sucks to be you is a good transition to my uh, high school story. No, I'm not going to go into too much depth about it. But yeah, I think I mean, you should. I had a hard time in both junior high and high school. I think the worst of it was also, for me, middle school, like Kevin was saying. Um, that first year of middle school, I really didn't have... In elementary school, I was always like friends with different people every year. And um, wait, I'm sorry. So, what is technically considered middle seventh school? Seventh grade for for me. Oh, okay. for me, mine it was, was junior high. Mine was seventh and eighth. Okay, okay. so in, in Louisiana, there pretty much wasn't like a quote unquote oh, middle school. Interesting. Oh. Some people had like junior high. Well, yeah, mine was actually junior high. Okay. I just say middle school because a lot of people are like, "What's junior high?" Well, yeah, no, and ours was junior high. Kind of interchangeable. Okay. Okay. Ours, ours was solid middle school, three years, six, seven, eight. Ours was seven, eight, nine. 
Oh, yeah. So when so we were weird. freshmen, we were technically still in our junior high. But anyway, yeah, so that seventh grade, um, yeah, I was very, I didn't have an established friend group because I hadn't had, like, really the same friends growing up. And there were two lunches, and, like, for some reason, like, everyone that I knew had the other lunch from me. So I remember feeling very at odds and um, eventually was welcomed into a group of people because it was a blend of different elementary schools. So one of the other elementary school groups um ended up welcoming me, me in, and those are the people that I stayed friends with for throughout high school. And so, I mean, that's another thing that I really identify with with Buffy, not to get too much into it yet, but um, just that, like, the theme of the show is really that she, like, gets by with a little help from her friends. You know, she um, would... I mean, there is an episode that you guys haven't watched. It was actually... I watched it last night, but um, where... Uh, there's an alternate universe where Buffy has not ever come to Sunnydale and you see that she's a completely different person because she hasn't had that support and she's kind of a bitch and just like really rough and you can tell she's just like had a like hard knock life like even worse than her um, her actual life that we see in the show. So um, so yeah, I mean I really identified with the show for that reason and Buffy was a big thing that got me through high school and made me feel more uh, empowered throughout that and kind of, you know, like you guys said, like I, I used it a lot as references and when I was writing about my own life, but I really did identify with a lot about the character. So I would say I had really good friends and that is what got me through and I still have a lot of good memories from high school, but yeah, like the actual high schoolness of it was uh, not my favorite, <laughs> not my favorite, <laughs> C plus. <laughs> The scariest parts I feel about middle school, which was hellish for me, was the idea that uh, you had these friends and now you're all, you know, I'm sure hormoned up and going through puberty and everyone's personalities are changing. And the scariest part was the fact that like your old friends were different. And there's there's elements of that, I think, in Buffy, too, with, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the werewolf stuff and even the vampire stuff, like the idea that someone you know so well can have this like demon side to it. Yeah, they can transform into a completely different person. And that does happen with people. Like one of your friends might accelerate aging. I mean, not like physically, but (laughs) they're simply an old woman. You went to high school with Benjamin Button. (laughs) I had a friend with progeria. I totally understand. But you know, like certain people like grow up earlier than others. And there's always that first person who's like suddenly like, trying drugs or something like that that's like and you're like still like watching Buffy or whatever you're doing <laughs> you know you're, you're still uh, not as mature and so you're it's just like and you're suddenly this person is like too cool for you and it's it's always a shocking moment I like the idea that watching Buffy is the complete opposite antithesis of taking drugs <laughs> on some I'm weird I'm sure some people have combined the the two <laughs> you don't want any of this shit <laughs> It's on the WB. <laughs> March 10th of this month is the 20th Buffiversary. <laughs> so that is why we are talking about Buffy. It has been 20 long years since the show debuted on the WB, which is shocking to me because I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> and then you look at the fashion. <laughs> Um, So in episode seven, where we talked about Scream, I talked about how writing parodies of the Scream movies was my first um, stab at writing screenplays. Did you get that pun there, the stab? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Becky loves puns. And so, yeah, I would definitely cite Kevin Williamson and Joss Whedon as the two people who were 
definitely the biggest influences on my personal writing style, um, particularly the early writing I did like as a teenager. And I know Buffy so well that I think one tenth of me is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> like it is a part of me that that's can be surgically removed. That's and I would that's be a okay. different person. I think one fourth of me is Simpsons quotes. Yeah. <laughs> so. so we all have our little uh, horcruxes or whatever that we have pieces of our soul in. So Buffy, like I said, started as a movie in 1992. And I remember seeing that poster very distinctly. It was a cheerleader's, um, you don't see her head, it's just kind of like waist down. And she's in a like sexy pose. And she's got a stake in her hand. And it says Buffy the Vampire Slayer in hot pink letters. But it's like, obviously, like kind of ominous as well. And I remember seeing that in the video store. And just like, even though I was under 10 years old at this time, I found that image very intriguing, the mix of like sex and violence and female empowerment. And I just like, even as a young child, I had the sense like, this is like my kind of, without even seeing the movie, like this is my kind of thing. Sexy. Like, yeah, that, <laughs> with, that it's a little bit, it's like trading on like gender stereotypes, you know, cause you don't expect the cheerleader to also have a weapon. And it's like, that was all already intriguing to me. So it's kind of funny that I feel like those preferences where I still really like things that are kind of subversive in that way um, were baked in to me at such a young age. Um, and I didn't really understand, you know, really what those images meant, but I had some kind of inherent knowledge that like, that's something I should check out. That, that was my kind of humor. So eventually I did catch that movie on HBO at a friend's house and my mom was mad at me because it was too <laughs> scary for me because I didn't have mm. Becky's mom who was <laughs> showing her Caligula at age three. Shout out to my mom who watch, who listens to our <laughs> podcast also at all, is always like, I thought I was doing a good thing. No, I love Becky's movies. mom. Becky's mom is wonderful. <laughs> this is Last Tango in Paris, Becky. <laughs> I don't know that I would show this is my how young men child like butter. All of the movies Becky saw as a young I appreciate girl. it. Thanks, Mom. But, yes, <laughs> Thanks, shout out Gubby. to Becky's mom. <laughs> um, so, I do remember, like I said, March 10th, 1997, very distinctly. Uh, my mom told me that that night there was going to be a show airing, premiering, called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I thought to myself, that sounds stupid. <laughs> and I didn't watch it. <laughs> After having already seen the movie? Yeah, I, I had only seen, like, some of the movie, and then I don't... When I actually saw the movie, I was like, all right, like, it was kind of funny, but it didn't, like, wow me, you know? I wasn't, like, the biggest fan of the movie. And so when I heard that there was a show, I was like, that's probably even worse than the movie because most, you know, mm -hmm. time you recycle something, it's not as good as the original. Joss's nightmare hearing you say that. I know, yeah. And so I did, like, continue watching Seventh Heaven, however, because I had my <laughs> viewing priorities straight. <laughs> And so, like I said, I ended up catching Buffy because it was on right after Seventh Heaven, which is a really strange pairing, but I don't think the WB had that many <laughs> nights of programming. So it was like, uh, these things are about young people. I guess we'll put them together. WB's What We Got Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we've got. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So the first episode I caught was episode nine of season one. It's called The Puppet Show, in which someone is killing students backstage at the talent show. And one of the performers is a ventriloquist with a creepy puppet. And so you obviously watch it thinking, I bet the creepy puppet is the one killing off the people backstage. Is, is that what got you into the show? Is a puppet? <laughs> well, yes, kind of, because it turns out that the puppet is actually a demon hunter and it's someone else killing off the people behind the... Uh, Backstage, and so it's. And it turns out the strings that were pulled were Chris's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. And I watched that and I was like, that's clever show. You got me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did you say that out loud? I, I, I probably did. And from there, you know, that's not a particularly, like, amazing episode of Buffy, even though I have a special place in my heart for it, just because it was that first one. But it was good enough where I was like, that did the unexpected. The Even in the bad episodes of Buffy, like, the banter is always entertaining. So um, it was enough for me to, like, leave the TV on after Seventh Heaven from there on. And um, so by the time season two aired, I was like, I had seen all of the reruns. I was It was appointment viewing for me. <laughs> I was like... In front of the TV at nine o'clock, like no one talked to me. Family go upstairs. I locked them in a, probably in their bedrooms. <laughs> so, did you watch it only alone? I did. Yeah. Um, so, my best friend Tiffany through high school, I would event- I eventually made her watch it. I mean, I did uh, Becky's like Clockwork Orange with a lot of people of <laughs> Train Spotting, but with me it was Buffy. Ethered them into it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a special art to finding what episode people will be hooked on. And uh, for Becky, I obviously knew it was the musical. <laughs> but um, we'll yeah, ta- we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, but I would um, find like an episode that I think they would like, and then so me and my friend Tiffany, this is um, the saddest nerdy story in the world. But <laughs> I would tape almost every show on TV for her because I had like three VCRs going at a time often, and was watching something live. And I would label all of the tapes like what episode? It's like <laughs> Frasier. This is what happens here. Buffy. <laughs> and like, and then we would. Were I you would like just, the VHS king of Washington State? I was. State. And then I would like show up to school with this like stack of VHSs, and she would like give me the VHSs she had already watched, and oh it was God. a whole thing. Um, and that's how I got her to watch all the TV I wanted her to watch, oh my God. <laughs> including you Buffy. Tiny pirate. <laughs> yeah. And you so, ever watched together? I don't think we ever, maybe like once or twice. You were just her dealer? You were literally right, her, right, dealer, right. her TV dealer. She's like, um, you know, we could watch these together sometime, you know? I like, had special feelings. I needed to watch it alone. Oh, okay. I had a friend who would who would tape them and we would watch them together, but she would always watch them first by herself. And then Yeah, that's what I did too. To and I'd be like, her. this one's good. This one's great. This yeah. one's excellent. You know, there was no bad. But. She just couldn't wait. <laughs> um, yeah, and so like, yeah, my Family would watch Seventh Heaven at eight, and then at nine, the room would clear. <laughs> I don't think a single member of my family has ever seen an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even though I was watching it constantly. Because this is the time when, like, before it was easy to watch. Mom, it's slant time. You had Get to out. watch things like live or on a VHS right, tape, yeah. and you had to like do it in like the main room. You know, like I didn't have my own TV in my room or anything. So, um, so yeah, um, as. My co-hosts have kind of seen. I have a bunch of uh, Buffy books and various paraphernalia. I had a cutout, or I cut out a bunch of Sarah Michelle Gellar pictures in magazines for a collage that was in my dorm room. Yes, that you may rem- remember. There is, so, there is a little bit of I. I know what you did last summer thrown in there. Yeah, uh, a lot, a little bit of Scream. I remember I know this I collage must have very seen well. There were actually form. two separate collages. One was the Scream and like the horror movie ones. And one was just Sarah Michelle Gellar yes. from like teen people or whatever she was in. Because um, <laughs> I was cool. <laughs> and this is also. Packing for college, mom. What should I bring? <laughs> my li- I had a life size Buffy cutout that was taller than me at the time. Oh my God. What outfit was she wearing? It was the season whatever three. Whatever outfit he put on that day. <laughs> <laughs> she was wearing my underwear. <laughs> This is now a podcast about making fun of Chris. <laughs> I knew what I was signing on for when I made no, them honestly, watch Buffy. No, 
No, it's it's beautiful. Welcome it's to beautiful. when we were Chris. <laughs> I was such a Buffy fan that like my introduction to Britney Spears as a person was that my friend at the time said, "There's this new pop star. She looks a little like Buffy. I think you'd like her." <laughs> And that's how I first saw the Baby One More Time video, and I was like, eh, Buffy's better. This this girl never meant to a hill of beans. <laughs> so, yeah, and I had, there was several soundtrack albums, so um, Sarah Michelle Gellar took over my Christine Taylor fixation, which I also had at this time. Um, and she is to date the only f- celebrity I follow on Instagram. I still really like Sarah Michelle Gellar. Just like I have this, I feel like we grew up together and it's like she can do no wrong by me. Um, I've seen every movie she was in and a lot of them are not good movies. <laughs> Did you see Simply Irresistible? I owned Simply oh! Irresistible on VHS. Even I saw it in the theater. I was the one. Oh. And I knew at the time it was not a good movie, but I still bought it and would enjoy it because of her, you know, because she did a good job in it. It's just that it was she really, did a good job in it. She really did not a well-written movie. It's a good one. So um, I guess we'll start with my co-host. Would you like to share your similarly deep fixations with Buffy and all of for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> I have none. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I, I literally have, I have nothing. Well, do you want to know yeah, my thoughts? Yeah, let's hear about on? what, no, let's hear what your first Buffy, because it was not this past week when we were preparing for this episode. No, okay, I had never watched Buffy before in my life, and freshman year of college, which was like, I guess 2002 is when the musical era. 2001, aired. Two, yeah. Was it still the fall? Yeah. Okay, Was so, that a pre-9-11 world? It was, it was shot probably pre-9-11, and it was aired, it was aired post, post in November. Very, wow. very soon after. Timely. Um, what? It was an interesting time to start college. It's like, we're in college, and it's like, and the world is ending. Yeah, it was strange. Um, everyone on our floor, for the most part, was into Buffy, but I had never watched. But it's freshman year of college, and you want to fit in. So it was like, I'll do whatever everyone else is doing. So we all huddled into somebody's... Uh, Meth, heroin, Buffy. <laughs> we all settled into somebody's dorm room. It was mine. And, no, it probably wasn't. <laughs> no, it was Kendra and Nona's. Oh. These, these names mean nothing to you, people, unless you are Kendra and Nona. Um, In which we, case, hey, Kendra we went and into Nona. Their, we went into their room. I remember we ordered Thai food, and we watched the musical. And I'd never seen an episode of Buffy in my entire life until the musical. And I was like, well, I'm obsessed with this. <laughs> and... I thought it was amazing, and I didn't really have to know, like, what the context was of, you know, every single character. You know, I I get it. There's a demon, and he's making people sing their true feelings. And I remember it was before, like, iTunes was a thing, so Chris would download music for me, like, illegally download. I would never and, do that. <laughs> um, quote, unquote, illegal. I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty legal. Uh, <laughs> it was super legal. <laughs> Anyway, so but they didn't like sell the soundtrack to the to the show, so we had to like find it through other means. And they so, eventually did sell the soundtrack, but it took did a while. They? Okay, yeah. it took a while, but I wanted it immediately. So that <laughs> night, I remember he like I want he like sent me these. She the, was shivering and shaking. So and what I drooling the songs that I have that I've listened to since are like very like bad recordings because somebody like was recording the show and then put it like in an mp3 online so like that's what i listened to when i listened to the soundtrack that's how all music sounded in 2001 though (laughs) everything was like recorded off the radio and you're just like downloading and you're like cool i got it to be fair most of the cast was not singers first so yeah and also to be fair chris was recording all this music onto cassette tapes and (laughs) distributing it to us (laughs) and like refusing to let us listen to it in the same room as him no 
it, it touches me too deeply. Yeah. So that was my first. Um, and I mean, I think after that, you were like, you should watch these episodes because I'm going to get you obsessed. Didn't really work, but I did watch a few episodes after that. It but didn't I, take. But I think I only watched a few episodes like that year, and then I hadn't seen Buffy again until this year, unless you count me rewatching the musical episode pretty much like at least once a year. Wow. <laughs> so, Seth, what is your storied history with Buffy the show? Never and none. <laughs> um, cool, Kevin. Yeah, I, yeah. What was the first one you watched? Did you watch? Uh, the first one I watched was the pilot. Well, so granted, I did see the Buffy movie. It must have been at least a decade ago. And really enjoyed it. Like, thought it was really um, clever. And I was charmed by it. And then I did You can't not... say the word charmed in the same <laughs> No. The is fans that... are very diametrically Is that opposed. a copyright You thing? can either be a charmed fan or a Buffy fan, but not okay. both. Okay. Well, I wasn't aware there were camps that we can had to choose. Can you be neither? <laughs> yeah. Nope. I'm going to choose <laughs> any. <laughs> I'm going to join club not applicable. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I did see the movie, but I hadn't revisited that. And also, again, just had not seen a single episode of the show. Um, but thanks to Chris's delightful curated list, uh, I began with the pilot. Um, we'll get the, Yeah, we'll get and into that. I worked my way th- through, I think, seven, seven or eight other episodes total. Well done, my friend. Thank you for humoring me. (laughs) I had to fight a little to get this episode of the podcast to happen. So, Uh, Kevin, have you ever watched Buffy? I have. I've watched many a Buffy episode. Uh, I think a lot of people's first is probably the musical. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great gateway drug for a lot of people. Definitely. Definitely. And probably a lot of people's only, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But um, my first episode was actually uh, Earshot, which we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, that's great. Um, I watched it. uh, They actually delayed the showing of it because it, because Columbine had just happened. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Oh, wow. Wait a a minute. We're going to get, we're going to talk. We'll talk a little bit, but I guess we'll get to that episode. But, um, but yeah, so they had delayed it. Um, and so it actually, they actually showed it for the very first time, even though it was out of order of the narrative that was going on that season, um, the week before the season four premiere. Yeah. Um, so it was like sort of like this bonus episode is how they sold it, even though it was very dark, the reasons that they actually couldn't show it the first mm. time around. Um, but just kind of similar to Chris's experience with Puppet Show, like it was just really interesting to me how they totally subverted exactly the the normal tropes that you're used to seeing with that kind of like slapsticky mystical you know sort of happening that's occurring and who's the real bad guy and and all of that and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to earshot I'll, i'm not going to go into like a whole whole lot of history with this show because there is a lot that you can discuss with it but <laughs> i will give you a general background of how the show came to be um, the genesis of the idea was Rhonda the Immortal Waitress. That was Joss Whedon's original idea for a character who you don't expect to have power who then is able to fight back. So um, I already love this so much more <laughs> than I like Buffy. Holy Rhonda shit. the Immortal Can we waitress? stop this now and like kidnap Joss Whedon and make him make Rhonda the Immortal Waitress? I'm sure that you are not the only person who would have attempted oh to. Oh my God. Like so on board just from the title. <laughs> So, yeah, the idea of Buffy is, I mean, it's fairly obvious, even if you just casually watch it. It's the idea of the bubbly blonde girl walking down a dark alley. She encounters a monster. You expect her to die because that's what happens in every horror movie. And instead, she kicks its ass and says something funny and biting and, you know, it's all good. Biting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That pun sucked, Seth. Raise the stakes, Chris. (laughs) 
In every generation, there is a chosen one. She alone will stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. She is the Slayer. And we've already talked about Joss Whedon on the podcast multiple times because he did rewrites on Twister from our first episode, um, as well as wrote um, a lot of Speed and Toy Story. So a lot of movies that we're very um, into, as well as, and he also wrote Don, a Don Bluth movie of all things. And but before the movie, he was a writer on Roseanne. He sold this script to Dolly Parton's production company, apparently. <laughs> awesome. And he hates this movie. <laughs> he hates really? Donald Sutherland. Um, Donald Sutherland. What about Luke Perry? Does he have pro Perry feelings? I believe he's Perry neutral. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> from what I from my, my research tells me. Oh, I wanted to paint my apartment Perry neutral. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's more like Doherty Light right now. <laughs> he basically discredits the director, I guess, with ruining the movie because she just didn't get the tone of the script. The script was a little bit more, I mean, it was a lot more like the show, I assume. I haven't read that version exactly, but she saw it as more of like a kid's movie and just saw it as a lot goofier. So a lot of the darker elements of it got cut out. I enjoy the Buffy movie fine. It's like a fun, like 90s, like really kitschy movie with Christy Swanson, Luke Perry, David Arquette, Paul Rubens, and... Early cameos from Hilary Swank and Ben Affleck. But it's not the Buffy we know and love. So we are discussing the Joss Whedon show. And Joss Whedon really got a rare opportunity to actually, like, usually when your script gets massacred by a bad director, too bad, so sad, you collect your paychecks and that's all. And somehow he managed to get this on a network that, like, at the time, no one was really watching, the WB, and a legitimate, like, cult phenomenon. Like, there are a few shows that have as... Mm-hmm. deep of followings as Buffy and that are still as strong as ever. So Buffy was never like the hugest rating success. Its highest uh, ratings were 5.3 million people in its third season. So for comparison, The X-Files in season four at the same time was pulling in 19 million viewers. Wow. 90210 was in season seven with three uh, 13 million viewers. Oh, Luke was busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was... St- and now he's by the way, on Riverdale, playing someone's dad, like oh a teenager's God. dad. Oh, wow. And Riverdale is He could have played a teenager's dad when he was on 90210. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Valid. <laughs> the early 90s were not a great uh, verisimilitude for high school age people on, in high school. Content. No. So yeah, this show is really credited with making the WB a network. I mean, WB became the teen network, and this was the first show in that vein that they did, even though they later became known for more soapy stuff like Dawson's Creek, more like. But um, this was the show that put them on the map. And then, you know, later it became the CW. But that still is kind of like a teen-oriented network and very young and hip. So um, Season two was pretty soapy, too. Yeah. There was a lot of, like, girlfriend, boyfriend, back and forth the whole time. That happens to be my focus when you talk (laughs) about season two. So. Before we dive into the episodes that we're going to talk about, I'm just going to say there's a lot to discuss with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I could talk about absolutely anything for hours. <laughs> it would be fine. There are also Would've... like a lot of spin-off novels and comic books, um, spin-off series, um, Angel, which was also on the WB for five seasons. Um, there's a lot. So there's there's also a whole Wikipedia page for Buffy studies, which is the oh academic God. study of Buffy. And there are legitimately like many, many college classes out there that are devoted entirely to Buffy studies. Did you minor in Buffy studies? I would have if I could have. My um, college had an intro writing course that was Buffy. 
but they also had Simpsons and a lot of other things too. So, yeah, and it's everything from like the philosophy of Buffy to sound design to how sex is portrayed. There's a Whedon Studies Association that gives out awards every year still for like the best academic Buffy article. Oh, I got nominated for a Weedy last year. What? Are you? You're. Oh. <laughs> You can't say you things like that. You gotta win your Wheaties. <laughs> Chris. That's Chris just cruel. Don't toy with him with those <laughs> Joss Whedon feelings. Seth will not survive today. <laughs> and there have been dozens of academic articles published just this last year alone. So it's still it's still a thing. It's not even like an old thing. You keep to telling revisit. yourself that. <laughs> and there are also go right many on with that, Buffy buddy. podcasts out there that go one by one. Through the episodes and are st- like there's you could spend an hour or two on each episode. There are a lot of memes came out during the election of like female empowerment. Um, that didn't work out so well, but <laughs> um, so the for our purposes, I decided to look at the first five seasons most specifically um, that aired on the WB because the show then went over to UPN for its last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and just take one episode from each season that exhibits a different reason why Buffy really connected with people and remained something that people cherish so much. So we're going to try and not go too much into out-of-episode plot points if we can. It's sometimes hard because it's a very serialized show. Um, and, um, you know, like, we're not going to explain why... Buffy's little sister is a magical key from another dimension. And, you know, we'll just try and set those things aside um, and a lot of episodes and just discuss um, the episodes themselves. So to start with, I had you guys watch uh, the pilot, Welcome to the Hellmouth, and the season finale of season one, Prophecy Girl. Um, The pilot really, I think, is just necessary to kind of get the baseline of like what's going on, even though it's not like the greatest episode. I had a real problem with the pilot. Okay. Just gonna bring it up. Um, so we don't get to see her realize that she's a vampire slayer. Right. And I have a big problem with that. Really? <laughs> because it's really, in- like, that's what I was very caught off guard, that she's already a slayer coming into this high school. Um, and the pilot is her just going to a new high school. Um, and other people realizing, oh, you're the slayer. Just like... That's so interesting to see her, like, discover that. And I think that there's an episode later that, I think, am I right? That that has a flashback. That's yeah. a flashback. Yeah. But, like, that's not, I, I was just like, I don't like that. And I was like, is this a continuation from the movie? Is this supposed to be the same Buffy from the movie? Because I don't remember the movie. And I just didn't like that as the pilot as, like, a starting point to, hmm. like, I, I wanted to see her origin story of, like, her discovering, oh, I'm a slayer. Um, and I just... As, as an outsider viewing the pilot for the first time, I was like, I don't like that at all. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it is a continuation. It's mostly a continuation of his original script, which was never shot um, exactly in its form. But it's the basic story of the movie is her backstory. So it's, yeah, I, I mean. Why do they do that? I think there's actually a comic book that is yeah. supposed to be the canon origin story. And it's really very similar that. It's very similar to the movie, but like the movie Vampires Can Fly, and there's a lot of like weirdness that just this is like some Southland Tales shit where you have to like, (laughs) also starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, buy three books and a map to fucking understand where you're starting. It's just the pilot, it should be like just like her discovering these powers and what that would actually be like. And I don't know what that episode is like when she does have that flashback, it's pretty brief. It's the episode isn't even all about that. I just want to echo that. I did not think it was a good pilot at all. Um, Hmm. I actually didn't feel like it was starting a story worth starting really until the season finale. I thought the acting was horrific, but that's kind of not an opinion that I would confine to the first season. 
Yeah, just tonally, there's no established baseline for either her as a character, as a person who's obviously more than just a person. You don't really get any sense of her inner life or her outer comfort with her powers or discomfort with them. And you also don't get any kind of baseline for the world that they're living in because it's obvious that there are supernatural forces at play, but... Each time they happen, they're also like a total surprise to people, which I found really just tonally jarring and inconsistent. Yeah, I had that. Um, I didn't find it nearly as tonally jarring and inconsistent and out of place and unbelievable as the kung fu fight scenes <laughs> that um, are sprinkled liberally throughout the entire series. Um, Weren't impressed with those stunt doubles? Yeah, the stunt doubles, I feel like Buffy's stunt double was like a 40-year-old man. Um, it might, have, it might as well have been like Steve Buscemi doing the high yeah. kicks for her. The stunt doubles for Buffy are always pretty chunky, like really muscular. They've got a meaty tuck <laughs> yeah, going on exactly. in the stunt double trailer. And this did air in an era where like TVs were smaller and not high def. No, I'm sorry. There's, def there's and... really, there's no excuse. It's This is a... It's a pretty te- technically inept show. I think at least during the first season, even watching back at like X-Files, there are definitely some huge clunkers, <laughs> but still like the practical effects and stuff felt kind of slapdash to me, um, which of course is to be expected kind of in a pilot. Um, but I did kind of very much consider the first and last episodes of the season to be uh, good bookends um, mm. and to kind of, uh, piece together a story for that first season. Yeah, well, you're not alone in criticizing the first season. It did actually get more critical acclaim than not, but, you know, there were voices of dissent. Some of the reviews from the original season, first the negative one. The results are mighty ragged in the series opener. The show takes strange shifts in tone. The dialogue isn't campy enough, and the violence grows tiresome. So that was Seth Pierce. No, it was <laughs> uh, the Orlando Sentinel. And uh, Variety said, Buffy the Vampire Slayer plays like an uneasy cross between the X-Files and Clueless, which was a comparison that a lot of people made in that oh, first season. But um, oh, Man, I wish, I'd, I wish it had been like that. The Seattle Post-Intelligencer said um, Sarah Michelle Gellar plays Buffy to perfection in this witty, intelligent, and thoroughly entertaining series based loosely on the 1992 film. And if she isn't the next closet door poster queen or the internet shrine equivalent, I'll be stunned. She was the next (laughs) closet door poster queen because of my closet. (laughs) But that poster came out of the closet pretty soon after, right? (laughs) Yeah, so... (laughs) Season one is rarely anyone's favorite season of Buffy. It definitely has rough moments, and you didn't even see the roughest moments because there are worse episodes in this season. Um, I kind of see it as like the pilot from Seinfeld that we watched um, Mm -hmm. a few episodes ago where it's like, yeah, this has potential, and I like the way the cast is interacting, and it just wasn't there in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it was still feeling itself out. It wasn't perfectly polished yet. And so... Um, I think some of the things, even as an eventual lifelong fan, uh, a lot of the problems I have with the pilot, too, is that there's a lot of weird canon stuff that doesn't really scan with the rest of the show. Yeah, that's true. Like, Xander has a best friend that just dies and no one ever talks about him (laughs) ever, 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 ever again, even though they'd known each other their whole life. And then also, his death Darla is just dies. like really written off. Dar- doesn't Darla die in the, that episode too, or is no? That she one dies more? in episode seven. Uh, well, even still, like the fact that she's sort of like this ditzy blonde when we know she has a huge backstory where she's got like a lot more going on is very strange. yeah. Her relationship with like Angel and everything it yeah. feels very different than it actually is because you later learn that Darla and like 
Well, you guys probably saw a little bit of that episode. Yeah, but can you explain something for me? I, I, I'm sure that I can. <laughs> That's a dangerous question. Does Sunnydale do... It's something that you said, mm-hmm. Seth. Like, does Sunnydale, like the residents, do they know that supernatural things happen? Or is it always a surprise? Or do they forget? Or do they, like, do they understand there are vampires? Is it, yeah. like, a secret? Is everyone as stupid as they seem to be on this show? <laughs> like, well, that's a joke of the show. Yeah. But I don't understand. And is it just Sunnydale? And wh- and then just why why just Sunnydale? I have so many questions. Okay. And, um, yeah, I just could never get a hang on of the episodes I watched. Like, is there something particular about this town? Because I think the mayor is in on it a little bit. Um, that's what I kind of grasped but like i like some people just die and then they're like surprised when the people are dead and then they're forgotten about <laughs> and then i'm just like dude is this like a common thing or do their minds go back to zero at the end of the night and they think it's like a normal town i have prepared a written report <laughs> yeah, there actually is i think i think there's actually we were talking about kind of the philosophy of buffy and like the actual academic papers and stuff and i think there's actually a coined term somewhere to the effect of like the sunnydale effect or something like that where it's this idea that a whole group of people witness something that's so traumatic that they sort of rationalize things going back to normal. So I think throughout the series, I mean, you can talk a little bit about the Hellmouth for the real reason why Sunnydale is, yeah. is a main place for baddies. But like the idea is played with a lot and they, they self-reference that silliness a lot of the times. But they're supposed to be thinking that, you know, a lot of times they use gangs on LSD as like yeah, something yeah. that they always think the vampires The Mexicans are. did it. So yeah, they know exactly. that a lot of things happen, but they justify it as, oh, that was a that was the weather yeah. or that yeah, was crime. Exactly. It's like so many people have witnessed something so they that they don't just... don't know that vampires are real. Right. So it shifts throughout. Do this, they know that the, witches the... are real? And No. So I, the beginning of the show is basically like supposed to be more like no one knows... But th- this is a place where, like, strange things kind of happen and people are just in denial. And that's really, like, the thing is that, and recently uh, with politics, I think we've seen a lot of evidence that actually made me really think about this. The way that people are in Sunnydale is they see a lot of evidence that something horrible is going on and they're just like, nope, I don't I don't believe that. I choose not to believe it. I am blind to it. Wait, but then they know of Buffy as the Slayer. They don't. One of the episodes I watched, one of the random kids at school comes up to her and is like, you're the Slayer, right? Or is that is that Xander in the pilot? That is Xander in the pilot. Well, though. he so overheard only her in the pilot, but then someone well, else, but she's, like from her high school... They're gossiping about her as being a Slayer, so what does that mean if they don't know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. Sometimes, so sometimes people will have, like you asked about witches, sometimes people will have, like, history in their family where they do have knowledge of the occult, and so they know who she is. So, like, there's an episode in season one where someone's mom is a witch. And so she kind of, that student kind of already comes to the table with, like, a knowledge of this other. Yeah, so Sunnydale uh-huh. is built on a hell <laughs> You're not convinced. <laughs> which basically it yeah, is. Yeah, I'm that real hard. <laughs> so this is a town where oh. mystical things are drawn to. So a lot of people have had various experiences. Season one is the worst for, like, explaining, like, and there's a lot more, I think there's a higher body count in season one where, and people are much more likely to just be like, eh, they're dead. Yeah. Later in the show, like death has a lot more resonance and is, I think they get better at explaining it. Like, yeah, that the police and the mayor are kind of in on it and, that helps a lot. and covering things up and lying to the people that, you know, in the, in the town. And again, like 
I now see this as much more believable Uh than I ever did before because that's exactly what's happening in our country right now is people are stupidly believing what their leaders tell them even though it's not true and can easily be proven untrue. In every episode, I wanted to focus on one specific thing about the show that I think made it stand out. And so for these season one episodes, I really just wanted to focus on the talent behind the show, um, which is the writing and the cast, um, particularly. Because like you said, the um, production, especially in season one, is often a little bit rough. Um, but what people really like connected to in the show is just like the chemistry between the cast, the talent of most of them in particular. I mean, so Michelle Geller, Allison Hannigan, and Anthony Stewart Head, I think, are like the three whose like acting particularly stands out for most Buffy fans. I like Charisma Carpenter too. She's funny. Especially in the first season. Um Guys. Guys. <laughs> guys. 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 <laughs> my babies. <laughs> my my sweet babies. I feel like we're living on different planets. <laughs> I'm just going to jump in here. I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is a terrible actress. <laughs> I fully... I think she's gorgeous. Fully agree. Even when her outfit is, like, pure 90s, like, atrociousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I like, I think some episodes she has some nice moments. But, like, on, like, the first few seasons, especially season one, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't watch any more I of this. I did because, not believe her like, in a single second of that show until like the third season. Oh, I couldn't like stand her voice. I was just like, I, I hate can't her voice. binge watch the show face. because I can't listen to her voice. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm killing you right now. No, but like serious, <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> I won't be speaking anymore. <laughs> like it I'm was dead. like, again, I had not seen an episode of the show and I'm glad that I put in the time to watch it. I do think that Sarah Michelle Geller became a serviceable actress not an excellent one, but a, like a good one for the roles that she's tended to be in since the show. But I thought she was absolutely terrible, like completely beyond unbelievable in the show. Um, unbelievable as an everyone, action star. Though. I felt that way about pretty much everyone, though. Um, I, the actor who played Xander, I thought was just terrible. <sighs> Like, terrible. And I thought Anthony Stewart Head was so good that he felt like he was on a totally different show. I just felt like I was watching a soap opera. Like, it was soap opera acting, which isn't, like, horrible. Like, it's serviceable for what it is. And this just felt, like, no better than Days of Our Lives. Yeah. And okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. So Chris, Chris already... <laughs> Stop <kinda> talking now. <laughs> Chris already explained his uh, love affair with Sarah. Yes. So, um, I guess I'll chime in a little bit. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I... I see her in the role of Buffy as so Buffy that it's like it's like her acting abilities, no matter how you want to rate mm-hmm. them, are sort of entwined with that character for me. Um, I agree, and I will yeah. agree that I that I I don't think she was like you know doing a job where she should have got recognition for her pure acting abilities. But I feel like there's almost some kind of there's almost. She she just feels comfortable with Joss's uh, like writing, mm-hmm. and there's just something about her that's so Buffy. Um, I almost jokingly usually refer to her when she's in other stuff as the Great Sarah, but like it's almost kind of ironic because I don't necessarily think that she's like, a, 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 and but also something to think about. She was originally up for the role of Cordelia, and if you compare her in uh, what movie am I trying to think of? 
um, Cruel Intentions, Cruel Intentions okay. then you can see that she kind of could fit that role. And Wait, so who was Cordelia again? Cordelia's the, the dark-haired one who's very popular and like... Charisma Carpenter, like Charisma the most eye-rolling name Christ. I've ever heard. Mm, she's named after a perfume. <laughs> um... Yeah, she's so memorable. I literally don't remember. This is my problem with a lot of the acting in this show, though, is that every girl has a stutter, and they talk like this. (laughs) Every girl is, you know, talking like this. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't know if they're going to get it together before the end. Everything they say is, I'm the slayer. (laughs) And and little Timmy's trapped in the well. Oh you're not God. like Willow either? He's How just could drinking you not his like wine Willow? and now we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it all comes crashing down, oh podcast fans. I just noticed that. I binge watched a lot of this and I just noticed that every girl was talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Becky, but how are they talking? I don't, I don't notice anything understand different. that at all. Like, I don't. I mean, the only thing what I can think of is, like, the Valley it. Girl. Like, they are lampooning. It almost feels like, I think when we look back at it, it almost feels like something that's been done so many times that it might not even register as them making fun I of a certain type I think you're too close anymore, to it. I think you're too close. I think, I I think you're too far. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't find it funny enough to think that it was a thing winking and nodding at itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that I deny that Joss Whedon would be the type of show creator to want to do that. But if he did, I don't think it was pulled off. Okay. Like, like at all. Because that be- seemed like a world that was entirely serious about itself. So this might be taking us a little bit off track. Um, but like, have you seen Cabin in the Woods? Yes. So a lot of the writing there is very, very similar to the the inflection. Oh, I know. Do those actors sell it better in your mind? I is it a Joss thing that you're a Joss writing thing? I have you're a controversial about, opinion, and I think I discovered it while watching Buffy. Is I don't think I like Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. I I like Doctor Horrible. I like certain episodes of Buffy. I will definitely give you that uh, in moments. But like, I don't like the Avengers. I didn't like Cabin in the Woods. I don't like Firefly. I don't like Buffy oh, for the whole. So Firefly, I think that, that I just don't like me. Joss Whedon. You and know, I think it's I, similar to me not liking Kevin Williamson. Yeah. Honestly, it's, a, it's been a slow burn for me, but I think I'm coming around the same page as Becky. I like the Firefly movie. I hate that show. I <sighs> thought that show was garbage. It's uh, funny that you like the movie, but you didn't like the yeah, show. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. I think it's just... I probably found that those characters better in that kind of environment. I thought the Buffy movie was okay. I actively disliked most of the episodes of the show. And I respect uh, Joss Whedon. And, I like, respect power him. To him. I respect like, him. And yeah. I think he has like great talents, especially when it comes to dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like I thought his work on Twister was part of why it's such mm-hmm. a great movie still. There were a lot of dialogue moments in the show that I loved, that I thought were really clever, and that coming out of characters who I believed would have been awesome. Um, I don't think whether that... And whether that's on Joss Whedon or whether that's on... Whatever that writer's room was, I can't say. Um, but yeah, I just did not feel like there was a cohesive set of characters or any of that that would kind of ground me and pull me through the whole. I just felt like the same thing that I had a problem with Scream is that the snappy one-liners and clever dialogue comes so fast that I feel like, personally, like I can't get invested in the people and I don't feel like they're real people um, and the fact that they're like teenagers that are obviously played by like 29 year olds or at least like look like it, that it just like it takes me out of it. I can't get into it. 
Um, and it's just too fast. I mean, I've never watched Gilmore Girls, but I heard that Gilmore Girls is a lot like that too. And like Dawson's Creek has that whole stereotype of them talking like not like teenagers at all. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like me personally, obviously, like people love Buffy. <laughs> I'm I'm sandwiched between two people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like for me personally, like I am not into that kind of like re- like witty repertoire, like back and forth at all. Yeah, I was a little worried about that with the show because like when you made your opinions of Scream. I was like, well, I mean, this is obviously like my catnip is like that kind of writing, particularly like when I was that age. And because this was, Joss Whedon and Kevin Williamson were really the first people to do this kind of writing Mm -hmm. in this way. And so like it felt so fresh at the time. And I think that's why so many people connected at the time. And critics loved, like people in general who watched Buffy loved it. A lot, I've shown it to a lot of people who, didn't automatically love it and they like it a lot of people still discover the show and still really like it so it doesn't hold up for everyone obviously but it does hold up for a lot of people definitely and i i that's why i would never say the show is bad mm-hmm. and although i would say her acting is not good but <laughs> um but like it's I hey feel like she was nominated <laughs> for a golden globe for this show which season she was nominated for 10 which Razzies season for this which episode? Later, much later. like okay. season five probably it was like 2001 or something okay so. well that's why like it's just so not for me and as a person who has absolutely no like nostalgia about it like i'm just going into that's fresh bad. as me and like it does not work for me but like Obviously, it works. For, it works yeah. for most people because they're fucking rich and famous. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will no. say that I think Sarah Michelle Gellar in the show is a phenomenal actress, but that might be because I've seen the entire body of work mm-hmm. and I'm not just looking at it. And I've known it for a long time, so um, I, I, you know, I have a different perspective. Like the performance might have worked better in the '90s than it does mm-hmm. now if you haven't, if you didn't actually see it back then. Like there's just certain performances that work better. Well, moment. but I don't think you can completely dismiss the weight of nostalgia. Right. You know, because, and, and this is a broader point, but like specifically, your perception of it is going to be entirely different than anyone who only starts it, you know, at this point in our lives. But there are you a lot know, of people who watch it at this point and still really get into it. I get very nervous showing it to people new the farther it gets from when it premieres. That's like, true. It, it does feel mm-hmm. dated to me. When I see it through other people's eyes, like I, I can remember moments. Rest assured, it plays super dated. Yeah, I can from remember the, moments being especially. on the couch. From the but, theme yeah. song, mm-hmm. the, the opening credits. The clothes, the clothes. I've never, can, we, can you at least say that like the clothes are like atrocious looking back on it? Yes, I mean, I think like, they're supposed oh to. Oh my like, God. For like Xander and Willow, they're supposed to be atrocious. Are they yeah. supposed, but like everything yeah. anyone wears is like the most 90s thing. Yeah. Is Xander supposed seen. to be when it gets to like, early 2000s. Oh, is Xander God. supposed to be just the most distasteful no he is a controversial character and he's actually never been my favorite either as an actor or like controversial how like 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 fans have problems with him a lot of times i think and his arc also is very much about him being the one character that doesn't have a superpower and so he's sort of like like why are you here odd man out and and you know. Well, he's an emotion. He's an emotionally manipulative shitbag, and <laughs> I don't see why Buffy has any trust or love for him, or vice versa. I don't. That's another thing that's entirely missing for me is chemistry between any of these characters in the show. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, and it, and that, that's the thing that carries through. Do you mean like the friendships almost all too? the episode? Oh, the the friendships, uh, the emotional r- romantic entanglements. Like it. it almost all of it seemed to me like plot happening to character sketches rather than people having goals and seeking them out and uh, 
encountering conflict with it. Like it, I I don't know. And part of that, of course, is because I don't have the grounding of seven seasons of backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, there are other shows where you can kind of trace that emotional arc or you can fall into it kind of in, in medias rest, like in the middle of things and be able to feel your way through it. And I really didn't get that sense, especially like in terms of Xander, the Xander Buffy relationship, which really is one of the central things in the show. Like I felt like uh, Buffy and Anthony Stewart Head's relationship, that was very believable. That was very believable, like mentor mentee kind of thing. Um, But the other relationships I felt were very loosely, if at all sketched out and the chemistry was just, lacking i've only watched a few episodes with spike and buffy having this like sexual tension thing and yeah. i felt like that was good for me mm-hmm. um like yeah that i relationship did kind of feel that actually yeah uh, between but i think that's because i i happen to really like spike as a character out of probably everyone i think i like him the most mm-hmm. and i think he's just like a good actor um yeah i his, think he's very his charismatic james marster james yeah i think he's a good actor and i just maybe that's why i it, it's better for me i don't know like like that sexual tension between them also i've seen the musical like 50 times yeah, and that's what's like good, the main part of that episode yeah, so yeah so the chemistry i mean it surprises me to hear you say that because like i think the chemistry is what drew a lot of people to the show the chemistry between the cast i will agree that like xander is kind of a weak link for me and often like he has good episodes and good moments in the show but if there's anything that like kind of stands out to me in certain episodes, I'm like, I'm not that into Xander and his storyline. When I was preparing kind of for this episode, one thing that I really took away from watching these episodes this time was just that the show is so much about thwarting expectations. Because even in that the first pilot, the first scene is a girl and a guy walking through a school, and you kind of get the sense that he might be a vampire, and she's going to be the victim. It's, Wasn't that Julie Bowen from Dexter? Julie Benz, yeah. Benz, Benz, yeah. that's it. And um, she, in the end, turns out to be the vampire, and that completely subverts your expectations of what most shows would have done at this time. And, you know, it's very much like Scream. And I think that also, like, on a deeper narrative level, the show is also very much about what you want to happen. You want to have the normal high school experience and what actually happens. And that's what I really connect to in this show is that, I mean, there's big plot arcs like Buffy and Angel, and you expect that when you have sex with your boyfriend who loves you in high school, it's going to be, like, bring you closer together. And instead, it tears them apart. And there's this whole thing, which we'll talk about in the next episode. So the next episode is... um, Passion. We're talking about season two. It aired February 24th, 1998. And here I was going to focus on the romance and the soapiness of the show, because I think that is something that a lot of fans enjoyed too, particularly in this season. It's the Buffy and Angel romance. But um, at this point in the show, Sarah Michelle Gellar had uh, filmed I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream 2. So those were coming out while this season aired. So she was a really big star at this time. Like Buffy really blew up during season two and then on to season three. Basically, we couldn't really talk about Buffy without doing an Angel-y episode because Angel is a big part of the show. I know so. he was another show. Yes, a show called Angel. Yes, <laughs> that's what I knew. And Bones, <laughs> which has been on for like 60 years. Um, and this episode, I remember specifically being advertised as like one of Buffy's friends is going to die in this episode. And there was this like dramatic promo. And for me, this episode is kind of a game changer in that 
like you talked about in the first season, there's a lot of characters who die and not much is made of it. And it's maybe not the most realistic depictions of how people react to death. And I think this one is the episode that finally kind of catches up to that and makes death matter for these people. And you really feel the resonance, or at least I do. <laughs> it's also one of the few episodes that uses voiceover from Angel's voiceover. Yeah, and it has uh, Spike and Drusilla, which I wanted you guys to see too, because they're notable Buffy characters. It's less, like, the first season is a little bit campy with that. The Master is a very, like, Dracula kind of Nosferatu character that's fun, but, you know, Spike and Drew are a little more original, and it's a lot more fun to see uh, them. I can't hold on to the past anymore. Angel is gone. Nothing's ever going to bring him back. So, what'd you guys think? It's the same as season one. It was kind of tough for me to get through, honestly. I think Seth feels the same way. <laughs> I, again, felt no chemistry whatsoever between Buffy and Angel, other than what the plot required of them. The wiping of Angel's memory to turn him into evil Angel feels like a plot trope I've seen in so many movies and shows now, even ones that came before this. It was just so soapy, I think is the word, and, and not in a positive way. I think melodrama can be very effective. I mean, I hope we eventually do an episode about the movie Magnolia, and I think that's like... Or even like True Blood is very campy and soapy, but like... Well, and there's certainly a point at which True Blood went off the rails yes, and totally true. stopped working. But for working. the first few seasons, like... I actually, I think that's a much more apt comparison. I think True Blood, and again, it's it was never a perfectly written show, but the chemistry be between the characters was so well established. Have you ever watched True Blood? Yeah, I could not disagree more. I think Buffy <laughs> is so much better than True Blood. I actually really like True Blood a lot, but I, I don't think True Blood could have gone where it had until Buffy already had. You, had, you have yeah, to remember, too, that Buffy was on... The WB, it was a show for teenagers. So Oh, no, I, I, I don't some, disagree with any yeah. of that. I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. And also, it's it's to make a comparison with that, like I, I recently rewatched the, the Godfather series for the first time since having watched The Sopranos, and I feel like The Sopranos goes where The Godfather never would have, right. but also couldn't have gone there without The Godfather having gone there first. Um, so I can definitely completely agree with that. I just don't think that... Uh, specifically the kind of Angel Buffy uh, entanglement in Broglio uh, just compelled me really at all. It's probably because you didn't have like a year and a half of them being together to like make so that So Stockholm Syndrome is what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah really I mean, cool I mean th this particular narrative arc is, very, is one of the most um, ones called out for what Buffy does and that it um, is very much about sleeping with a guy and he turns into a monster. And that happens to a lot of young women and people in general, is that you open yourself up to someone and in a vulnerable moment and then they kind of change on you because they got what they wanted. And this is obviously mm -hmm. um, a more extreme version where... Uh, I'm not sure if you picked this up from the episode, but it's basically them having sex that caused him to turn evil. Uh, we won't try and go into all the specifics, <laughs> but it's basically it caused him to lose his soul and turn right. into no, revert back to a part. vampire. So um, I think that is a very powerful metaphor. And I maybe seeing a lot more of Buffy and Angel together would help sell that. But just um, when you go through a bad breakup, you I mean, 
I, I identify so much with realizing that the per- person you fell in love with is evil. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just like the consequences of, of sex and, and how it complicates your life. Um, I guess whenever it happens for you, often it's when people are a teenager and... That- well, when I have sex, I'll let you know <laughs> all about it. <laughs> this, however, is a clean family-oriented podcast. <laughs> Um, I think I I started watching the show in season four, which was a, a transition point for the show. They, yeah, they weren't in high school anymore. Um, and when I went back to watch the episodes um, that happened in high school, I it was a little strange to me that that everyone was mixing and matching and like Willow <laughs> Willow and Xander sort of have an arc, and Xander's got a crush on Buffy, and Cordelia and Xander have a thing, and there's all these kind of like intertwined like relationships. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Almost felt like friends, like Joey and. Joey and Rachel, and then we're we're sick of seeing the combinations that can happen. Mm-hmm. So I could de- like going back and even being a fan of the show, going back and seeing what they went through in high school and how um, soapy it was was uh, was a strange experience. Even coming at it, you know, as a fan of the show and wanting wanting to enjoy it. Yeah, see, I'm the only person who watched it in real time, right. which so, a lot, I, yeah. so I had like actual years of building up with these characters. So yeah. it was like a little bit easier for me to go through all that because it doesn't feel quite as soapy when it's like every week rather than if you're watching it in a big chunk like a lot of people watch things now i took a female action heroine class in at usc it's probably the best class i ever took so there was a lot of study of buffy in there and um, we looked at a lot of different kinds of action heroes from sarah connor in terminator to ripley in the alien series and What's interesting is that, like, often these women are destroyed and isolated by their strength. And Buffy is really notable for the fact that she's strong, but she also gets to have friendships and relationships. Most females who are, like, tough girls are very much loners. And it's it's really a contrast to, like, it goes against our expectations of women, you know? So this show is talked about... And Buffy in particular is talked about as such a feminist icon. Yes. And again, in part, I have a smaller sample set than you do. Um, but I do feel like you did a great job of selecting a, a s- episodes that were a cross-section of the show. And so I do feel like I have a good read on Buffy. And I never once felt like that character of Buffy would feel like a complete person without a man in her life. And that may go against the grain in a narrative sense where I think that's a very keen insight that like in in this situation, most women who would have any interaction with men would find those men soon destroyed um, or soon be destroyed by them. Um, But I don't consider her a feminist character in the slightest. I consider her just like every other woman in every other mainstream show made by straight white men where the thing that she really needs is a man to complete her. Well, that is like, that is actually like a criticism that I think a lot of people lob against the show. Um, And the end of the series, not to go over but it's more, she kind of realizes her own power sort of, especially in the last season, she goes through a lot of, Various bad relationships, and a lot of them are controversial. Riley, especially in season four and five, like people, that character is really problematic, and she becomes kind of a uh, girly girl in a way, in in with with him, and just kind of like 
sacrificing her own identity. And that is a problem. And it's like, I think the show addresses that a lot of times and the way that that relationship ends. I mean, it does it well sometimes and doesn't do it well other times. But that's definitely a feature of the show that is ripe for discussion. And mm, I yeah. like I, I agree with you. I think yeah. that that's definitely a valid point. Yeah, and outside of even the relationship aspects of her as a feminist icon, um, she I don't think she's ever written as someone who, I guess you could say, like a Wonder Woman or something like that, where they're, they're purposefully putting them... The, that character's drive comes for from wanting to be an empowered woman. Um, mm-hmm. Buffy has had this thing put on her, this responsibility put on her, and she even says, maybe even one of the episodes that we were assigned for this, um, that she just wants to, you know, she would love to go shop and talk about boys and just be able to be a normal teenage girl, but she has to be a slayer and she has to kind of take up this mantle of doing something that's outside of, of really who she even wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's there's almost a metaphor there for like the responsibility of feminism and is it actually a hard thing to be someone who's pushing the norm and like pushing back on the stereotype and, you know, where does that, how much of that responsibility comes from an inner drive and how much of that responsibility comes from something where you realize you need to do that as a human being or as a woman or sure but like from the episodes that we watched i didn't see the show wrestle with that yeah specifically it does a lot i mean yeah i mean you guys only saw a few episodes but it definitely sure. tackles a lot of different aspects of being a, a woman and it's it's it is very it's not like a binary thing where she's like the strongest woman all the time. And, you know, like she's not always a role model. She does a lot of things that are um, questionable and that maybe are questionable from the writing standpoint of like, oh, is this like, again, it is a straight white male who creates her. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good depiction of a woman from a straight white male based on what you usually get. I mean, she's not sexualized. The the camera doesn't like do the feminine gaze or she the male gaze on her. She does, but like the camera doesn't ogle her know, for yeah. it. Yeah. And um, like, I mean, when you compare her to like Lara Croft or Xena, yeah. she's not wearing like a bra in every episode, you know, she's not. Oh, but see, I, I feel like there's, I feel like the way that the camera approaches her is as a soft teenage flesh young girl like i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's uh except when it's sexual, a body double i don't think it's <laughs> right i don't think it's sexualizing her in the lewd lascivious way uh but i definitely get like a she's in soft focus perfectly lit in a mini skirt i i do think there's an element of the male gaze in in how she's rendered in that show um i do think it fell I think that subsided a lot more in the later episodes. Yeah, too. I def- that was I think more of a feature of season one, where they were still kind of finding themselves, and Joss Whedon probably not as you know, like there were a lot of other directors coming in, and they probably didn't weren't as subservient to Joss Whedon as they were in later episodes when he became so well known as like a, the showrunner. And as you talked about, she was also style icon, might be like over dramatic but I mean she was in the public eye as like a teen star at the time so there's also I'm sure that sort of like cross selling of things she's wearing and things like that too I had an issue watching these episodes and maybe they touch on it in episodes I hadn't watched but one of the things was I felt like there wasn't really like a conflict with her really wanting to be a normal girl whereas almost every episode I saw it was like I'm the slayer okay let's go slay like the baddie of the week Versus, like, I really just want to be on the cheerleading team, or I just really want to do this high school thing. 
And, and you would have liked more of I would have liked more of that. Okay. I would have liked more of like, I really just want to go on a date with a normal guy and there's like this thing I got to slay. Um, yeah. I just, you know, just more of that because it, first of all, she looks 29 years old. She really I does. I don't, everyone does though. Every yeah, single person. That was looks, everything in the 90s. I know. I, so I can't yeah. like blame this, you know, yeah. in particular, but like, that's one thing against it though, is that I don't feel like she's actually like a teenager. And then yeah. just the fact that like, there doesn't, again, tell me if I'm wrong, but like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of episodes where she's just like, I just want to do this thing or I'm going to fail high school because... <laughs> literally the entire first season is all of those plots. Is it because like yeah. I felt like what I... I mean, I watched the pilot and I watched the uh, season finale. Yeah, those all are right, the ones maybe that I are not missed like it. that. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I felt like that was just like missing for me through most of it of like this conflict of like... That's where I think where I would have gotten more into that character of like I just want to do this thing and be normal that's because very the whole much. thing like, about through her, all the high school episodes are like that conflict is really present. I I can I see like it's not feeling, so much in these episodes, but the thing yeah. that like it's like Buffy and she's hot and she's like supposed to be this popular girl, but it never felt like she was this popular girl. Who I think it would be really interesting to see the most popular girl in your mm-hmm. high school have to go slay some beasts. Um, well, but, like, also, I didn't feel like I got that. Yeah, no. I, I, and I think that goes to what you we were saying earlier about not having like a real baseline established for what living in the reality of this world is like for these characters. Um, but also like hitting on the kind of gendered critique of her as a character. I don't know who she is on the inside. Like I would wonder like what she would, what it would be like if she got like a poetry assignment at school mm-hmm. and like had to write a poem or a short story. Like, Something to actually express herself. There is a dream episode where you literally see inside her and her thoughts and feelings. <laughs> but that's one episode, yeah, exactly. and we're talking and about also, like, and also that's like the flashback to her origin story that Becky was describing. That's completely non-dramatic. That's a thing that's happened. That's a dream sequence is a thing that's happening outside of the story that's being told. Like I, I'm sorry, I I find that to be incredibly weak writing and character building. I think you know, it, yeah. I, I, when you guys first said that, it's it, something that I've never really given much thought to because I've always just accepted her for face value because I came in in the middle of the storyline. But I think the idea that that we don't get that background because she does talk a little bit about how she used to be like the most popular girl in school at her old school until she had to become this slayer and then she burnt down the school and she became this outcast. But like you have to really sort of dig yeah, like and know a lot happen, about though. exactly. I'd yeah. like to see her yeah. at lunch and everybody's hitting on her or everyone wants to like copy what she's wearing, but she can't go to the movies that night because you know what I mean? Like that juxtaposition and that like conflict where it's like, but I, but I want to be, the prom queen or the homecoming queen. And I know there is a, there's an episode that we watched homecoming about that, but I was just like, I want more of that than I want her. I want her to actually want this thing, but she can't because she has to go do this other thing that she has like this burden. Well, you will really enjoy going back through and watching every episode of the first three seasons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what that, for me, what that hint, like that's that to me is a lack of conflict, you know, and there are the day to day episode to episode plot conflicts but I think the lack of character work, at least from what I saw, was the lack of the conflict within the character. That is not a criticism that I've ever heard of Buffy before, <laughs> that there's a lack of conflict or a lack of character. It's really well known. You know known. I think it's like different conflict because there's conflict yeah. with monsters and like right. just, you know, metaphorical. The guy you're dating is, you know, has something wrong with him um, that you find out when you trust him. But mm. we're talking about like realistic conflict of like... A sense of self. 
just maybe something that's just makes it more grounded in reality versus the metaphor coming through fighting monsters. I don't know. And again, Am not, not right? necessarily grounding it in our exact reality, but some way of grounding it to a reality that everyone can tell. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't connect to it, like, I, I understand that. I yeah. obviously did. Right. And I see so yeah. much of myself in these characters and this show. And it was so influential to me and a lot of other people, um, obviously, because it has such a cult following. But I can... I can understand like what you're saying, and I enjoy. I mean, I think a lot of the I think a lot of the conflict that um, that you guys are looking to see from this sort of like high school experience and all you were talking about. A lot of what Joss tries to do is literally portray those things in metaphor of a certain type of monster or a certain thing occurring. So what Chris said might be right if that mm. just doesn't speak mm-hmm. to you or you yeah. don't want to not. Buy that. I wouldn't say like work that hard, or if you just you just don't you would rather see a more realistic approach to that kind of thing happening simultaneously that's not, yeah that's just not that's just not that's what that show. world is yeah so that's a great transition into the next episode where i'm focusing on the high school as hell metaphor mm-hmm. uh that's earshot which was supposed to air on april 26 1999 but um that was yeah. a bad week <laughs> april 20th was columbine yeah so it was yeah. six days after and i can't believe that because yeah. when i watched it i was like oh this is a response not a, yeah, because they even amazing. already call out the fact that like there are school shootings in America, and we tend to think of Columbine as like the first. not the very first yeah. one, but like that's the one that really yeah. hit the media, you know, where it became like a real so that's incredible thing. Yeah. And but yet it was already kind of a thing because they were already responding to it with the show. So the actual episode aired, like Kevin was saying earlier, September twenty first of that year. So it was a whole uh, like five months later and. As someone who was watching the show at the time, to have Buffy canceled and just like <laughs> not have an episode was devastating. But even worse than that was that a couple of episodes after this, they was the season finale of season three, and they aired the first half, and then the second half they decided not to air as well, and that didn't air until July. Oh. And so the first, the third season ends on, the, or the first episode of that ends on a big cliffhanger, and. We were just like left hanging for the whole summer. It was it was rough, um, and that's not how it was intended to be. Like a lot of cliffhangers, because like it was supposed to actually be resolved the next week. And now, would you say that the anguish from that cliffhanger is worse than Columbine? Oh, <laughs> it, about equal. Okay. just about equal. Okay, again, right, I you're say... giving us a grounding in that world. Thank I'm gonna you. say something nice. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I liked this episode. Yay! Yay. I liked Wait, it. Which episode was Earshot. this? Earshot. This is the well, one where, where she, she can, can hear minds. people's thoughts, and then she oh, hears right. that somebody's yeah, going to like yeah. shoot up the school. Yeah, and I thought it, this it was caught me good. off guard. Didn't know what the episode was going to be about. And I really liked it. And Mad, the Mad Men's Danny, uh, what's his name? Danny Strong. Danny Strong, yeah. yeah who's also a Men. big writer now. Yeah, he's the a huge writer. Empire, he writes Empire. and He, he wrote um, Game Change, yeah. I think. And uh, the other one about our fucked up government. Yeah. Recount. 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 He's the guy that's the shooter. I, I, I did like this one. And I thought I liked it because it felt like something that was real that wasn't about monsters. It like used something supernatural to connect with something really that's a real problem which is what the show does i think more often than not but all right not well, in the episodes that we watch i like this episode okay. so i mean i, I did something nice yeah. i did this is another episode that i often use as a gateway for people because i think it's an this easy, was my gateway yeah i think it's an easy one for people to watch without having to know like a whole lot about the character specific backstories mm-hmm. there's a little of that but um 
Yeah, and I do think that this episode really well demonstrates the like the best kind of way that like the high school and the hell metaphors kind of come together. Yeah. And I also what I like about this episode too is the character dynamics. So you guys were talking a lot about earlier about not wanting to see more of the the characters play off of each other and kind of figure out what they mean to each other. Um, I think what always struck me about the variety of characters in Buffy was not necessarily their interpersonal relationships, but how they're sort of like this ragtag team where they all bring something different to the table and they all become this sort of united, uh, kind of united whole. And there's actually the season four finale actually like literally they literally become supernaturally like one person because they all use their different forces to like make a super buffy essentially. <laughs> but I mean, I think this, I think Earshot highlights that where like you get to see Cordelia's thoughts versus Xander's thoughts versus Willow's thoughts versus Giles' thoughts um, versus Buffy's own thoughts. And I, I thought I that's one of the things that drew, drew me to this show. I've always, I've always been a sucker for the ragtag team. And I think they really highlight how, how well he he outlines these different characters of being very different from each other and having unique voices. The Scooby Gang, we have not the yet Scooby said that, but gang, they are very yeah. well known as the Scooby Gang there. What am I going to do? I think about sex all the time. Sex. Help. Four times five is 30. Five times six is 32. Naked girls. Naked women. <laughs> naked Buffy. Oh, stop me. God, Xander, is that all you think about? Actually, bye. <laughs> Yeah, so I think season three is Buffy at its most Buffy. Like, I think it's kind of not necessarily the peak of the show, but it's definitely, like, in the high school years, I think it's kind of where it really hit its stride. And you can watch most season three episodes, and they're pretty good, whereas that's not necessarily true. Like, season two has a lot of rough ones in there. Um, And yeah, I just wish that this episode could be shown to anyone who is planning to shoot people. Yeah. Because just the message of it, I feel, is really powerful that um, what enables people to kill is this narcissism of not being able to understand that the other people around you are suffering just as much as you are and in different ways that you don't see. But everyone feels lonely and insecure and misunderstood. And I think, I mean, that was a message that when I first saw this, like, hit me powerfully because it's just, I mean, I was someone in high school who was more like Jonathan, who was like, you know, felt ignored a lot of time and to have this perspective, which I think is a really interesting and mature perspective that like even the most beautiful people are like, yeah, they're ignoring you, but that's because they have their own problems. Like that was something that maybe I didn't even think that much about in Mm. high school, you know, because you're so focused on yourself. And I think most people are focused on themselves in high school and see everyone else as like having it better than them. And I did think this was one where Joss Whedon's dialogue talents actually did help ground Mm -hmm. the character and ground the plot in in what the reality of those characters' lives were like. Um, I really did. I I did think this was definitely a a big step forward um, as far as the. Good. Yeah. I mean, the show would often do metaphors for how you feel in high school so there was like a girl feeling invisible who actually became invisible and puberty is like becoming a werewolf and um that's what it's like for all of us the swim teams like does steroids that make them rapey fish people <laughs> um and not all of those Again, are good in there. <laughs> it was very hit or miss um but uh i love in this episode cordelia especially just that like Every time you hear her thoughts, then she exact she says she says that exact thing afterwards. Yeah. It's like that's exactly it's who her really character great. is, and yeah. I just love that. 
like that attention to character, you know, each of these characters thoughts, like Kevin was saying, is just like, it's so them. And particularly once you like love these characters and you've been living with them for a couple of years, it's really fun to see this other side of them where you actually get to read their thoughts. Yeah. And it's also just interesting, like the Buffy is a very anti-gun show generally. And so this is one of few episodes that actually deals with gun violence. You assigned two gun violence ones. Spike in Full for Love goes to... Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Goes to shoot her with a shotgun. about that. I was, I was really surprised rewatching that one, how dark that was. Yeah. Because <laughs> later later in season six, there's a big gun thing that we won't get too into. But yeah. um, just it's interesting in this show, I think, that they use weapons that are pretty unrealistic. Like you're not going to have a lot of copycat killings with mm-hmm. wooden stakes and crossbows, you know? Um, yeah. And also, so to, to speak to um, your point earlier about the town not knowing about Buffy, um, this is one of the moments when you see that, like, she does something kind of heroic that people see, and that kind of pays off. So this marks kind of a transition point of her, like, later in the show, there's a lot more sense that people kind of know what's going on in this town. So it does evolve throughout the show okay. of, like, people not knowing to, like, eventually, like, the whole town is kind of yeah fairly aware of what's going on. Yeah, they know something's up. They don't know the details, but... The other last thing I'll say about this episode, because it's in season three, <laughs> is that... These people you really are, could talk for like seven hours. Nothing is ever the last thing. <laughs> this is the last thing. I don't believe you anymore. <laughs> is Faith, I have to mention Faith, because Faith is my favorite character, and she's in season three. And they talk about her a lot in this episode, but she's not in it. And it was really hard for me to not show you guys an episode with Faith, but I didn't, so. I watched something with Faith. So one of the extra Who episodes. is that? Mm. Eliza Dushku? <laughs> yeah. She's an evil okay. slayer, essentially, nope. when it comes down no to No idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was from Bring It On. That's how I knew she her. She was. She was. Good old duck shoes. So moving on to season four, we have Hush, which aired... Thank you. We're finally getting the Hush. <laughs> yeah. December 14th, 1999. So right at the turn of the millennium. The millennium. <laughs> we're taking a look at the cinematic quality of the show and its inventiveness. Um, Emmy nominated... It was an Emmy nominated for its script by Joss Whedon. Do you hear that? I'll say another nice thing. Yay. I think besides once more feeling, I think this is the best episode of the show that, that I've seen. That is a common feeling among yeah. Buffy And I fans. remember this is uh, back in the day after I first saw the musical when you were like, you want to watch more Buffy? Here's more Buffy. I think this was the, probably the first one that you We uh, were simultaneously me. like holding each other's <laughs> eyes open in Becky's dorm room. She was showing me train spotting. I was showing her Buffy. <laughs> Wild nights at USC. I really, I I really do like this episode. As you know, as soon as it gets rolling, that they can't speak. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, like, for the most part, I feel like the villains on this show are like monsters you'd see at Knott's Berry Farm, (laughs) 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 Scary Farm, and Fright Fest. Like they're just human bodies with weird heads. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
like that that's is a totally fair criticism. <laughs> Too much makeup. But in Hush, these monsters like were legitimately scary and uh. unique and interesting, and they're floating, and the floating was done really well. Like they were actually like really creepy. Um, out of every villain in the whole show, I thought that these were actually like fucking scary. Yeah. And I think the guy who's like the Pan's Labyrinth guy, um, Doug something, he like... Doug Jones. Doug Jones. I think he plays like the main uh, creepy... Are they called something? The Gentleman. The Gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Not only did I like the script and the acting in the show and everything, I really did like the villains the Mm -hmm. most. Yeah. I I totally... I have to agree with that. Like it, it was... And again, I'm sure there are plenty more villains that are interesting. These are the scariest. Yeah, I would say for sure these are hands down the, the scariest. scariest. Yeah, whole whole thing. Um, villains. Yeah, for sure. And also the least unintentionally like comical. No, not comical at all. Like not comical, not yeah. even yeah. remotely. Yeah. They were inspired partially by Mr. Burns from Simpsons. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. I knew you would like that fact. I do. Yeah, I mean, this episode is really... Simpsons facts. (laughs) One of the first ones that really showed Buffy deviating from what TV normally would do. I mean, it's very rare to have an episode of television that's 27 minutes without dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, like, the score and the cinematography of this episode in particular feel especially cinematic. Like, I think you could make this into a movie, and it would also Mm -hmm. be, like, a pretty good horror movie. I think the score is actually on... Is it on the... Al- the musical yeah, album or like Radio Sunnydale or something yeah, but I remember listening to it like just genuinely enjoying it like mm-hmm. you would like sit back and enjoy the Jurassic yeah. Park theme or something which we all do that do we all do that daily <laughs> it's my um, this was season four so like the show is now out of high school and then I think that's part of what enabled them to take more risks and we'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about some other episodes that broke the mold a bit at this point, Joss Whedon had such control of the show that he was able to say, I want to do this. And they were like, okay, Joss Whedon, you can do whatever you want. And the show is so known for its snappy dialogue and like the thing that doesn't always work for Becky. Right, in so particular. maybe that's why I liked this one. In I the, like the one where they're singing. Shut them all up. <laughs> yeah. I like the one where they're not saying anything. <laughs> so silence or big musical. Or Those are Becky's two speeds of Buffy. <laughs> or... Things are in their mind, not uh-huh. talking with yep. their mouth, mm-hmm. too. But yeah, yeah. Joss Whedon very consciously like wanted to strip away that thing that people credit him so much with. Um, and often would do, you know, just break the mold with the show. I mean, this show is one of the shows that is credited, credited with ushering in the golden age of television that... Hushering? <laughs> hushering, <laughs> yes. Ooh, that was a particularly terrible <laughs> pun. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, You can debate about what exactly the golden age of television started with and ended with and is maybe still going on, but this is one of the first, particularly like a big network show, to take the kind of risks that this episode takes, where it's doing something really different. And it's one of the first examples of TV really being cinematic. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. Twin Peaks is partially maybe a predecessor to some of... X-Files. The Better Buffy, and a little bit of X-Files too. But other than that... There aren't a whole lot of shows that really did kind of what Buffy was doing and would continue to do um, in later episodes. So um, it's it. I think it is very uh, influential on even shows like what happened on HBO. And now almost every show looks like a movie. Mm. And I think that kind of started with Buffy in this episode. 
It also introduces the character of Tara. You can probably kind of sense that there's a lesbian relationship <laughs> coming between the two of them. I so don't know. So is Willow supposed to be bi or she was a lesbian all along? Because I knew her from the musical, obviously, when they she was with Tara. Yeah. So going back to season one, when she, she and Xander had like a thing or her and Seth Green. And I was like, what's this about? <laughs> yeah. So she was genuinely like into guys and straight. And then I think it's more that she met Tara and... That just opened up something for her. And okay. I think it's up to debate. Like, if she's like, is she bi? Like, would she ever be with a man again? Yeah. She basically isn't with men again. Like, it's pretty yeah, clear. She gets, another, right? she yeah. gets No, she gets another girlfriend. Yeah. Does she? Yeah. Okay. A horrible girlfriend. Yeah. Right. Ooh, yeah, she's terrible. Worse than Riley. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah. <laughs> Do you think the show handles, like, homosexuality in a positive way? Or what are your feelings on that? And I feel like I can't speak too much because I've only seen, like, maybe two episodes mm. of them together. So I was just wondering how you guys felt about that. It was one of the first shows to ever depict a kiss between same-sex people on TV. It wasn't the very first. I thought it was, but apparently it was L.A. Law in 1991. That Whoa. was the very first. Was Buffy second? It was... Up Very close, yeah. Okay. So, and they did it, they didn't do it even in season four, even though, like, the whole season is about them getting together. They didn't do it until the body episode, and that was because that episode was so distinct that, like, they thought that no one would, like, worry about mm. <laughs> a lesbian kiss in that episode. But, That's interesting. yeah, I mean, it was one of the first shows to really depict a realistic and, like, healthy gay relationship yeah. that wasn't, like, based around, you know, some kind of, like, issue, like... AIDS or whatever that was really popular in the 90s. And Joss Whedon had always been planning to have a homosexual relationship um, and he didn't know if it was going to be Xander or Willow. So you can actually go back and watch the older seasons and there's sort of Easter eggs where it could go both mm. ways. Yeah. Um, Willow like, has like a Evil Willow is joke. gay yeah. and Xander like always gets mistaken for being gay to the point that he starts to like question himself because <laughs> other because he's like so influenced by other people's opinions of him and so there's there's sort of like this seeding for it to go either way and and that's just where the so show it, decided to so go. So it works for you. Like Yeah, I would it. say that the I mean I think this is part of the show being made by a straight white man and that like it's definitely much more lesbian than it is like gay male. There isn't really a lot of gay male stuff, which doesn't bother me, but I mean, there's a little bit of, like, very slight gay panic in, especially, I think, season three with Xander, but it's not, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's yeah. like, he's very much like, I don't want to be considered gay, but yeah. but boy in high school really does if he's not gay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think overall the show was definitely, like, very groundbreaking on that level. And I think Willow and Tara is still, like, for a lot of people, is a very special TV relationship. Yeah. It might not be as literal, but a lot of the uh, themes have to do with, like, I have this secret that nobody knows about me. Like, that that's a big part. Maybe not in these episodes. We didn't get to see it. But that's a big part of being the Slayer, too, is, like, this metaphor that every young person thinks that they're going through something that's, like, very specific to them and a secret that they can't mm -hmm. share with anyone else. And so mm -hmm. it always sort of plays on that themes really those themes really well. Yeah, and I just, I like that this episode, I feel like it really demonstrates that Buffy has a little something for everyone. So even though not everyone loves the show as a whole, like, there's probably an episode that almost anyone will like um, based on your preferences. So it's like, sometimes it's like Earshot or sometimes it's Hush, but there's, or a musical episode, you know, it's like, it can, there are episodes that are purely comedy and there are episodes like this that are just a horror movie and it's, very rare for a show to be able to be different genres in different episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, still, I don't think that there are very many shows that do that. 
So we can move on to season five, the last season we're really going to talk about too much. We'll probably we're gonna talk jump about the into the musical a little bit. <laughs> we're going to sing the musical from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll play the tambourine. That's about all I can commit to here. So we're going to talk about Fool for Love and The Body. Um, Fool for Love aired in November 2000, so it's right at the cutoff of our podcast uh, from 1980 to 2000. And in this one, I just kind of wanted to look at the mythology of the show and the complexity of character, because this episode has of someone who is completely evil and a villain in season two now becoming someone who has feelings for Buffy and eventually throughout the show. I mean, it's not like he does like a 180 in any particular episode and becomes a completely moral person, but you see that his feelings for Buffy push him to be a better person. And it's just very interesting and I think slightly rare on TV to see a character, some of the characters as complex as the characters are here, that you can have someone who's evil in season two become a hero in season five. And that it's a very long journey for that character. Again, like you could do that in a really cheesy way, but the way that it's done here, it's very gradual and very, um, and Spike, like you, you said, you mm-hmm. like the character of Spike. I think a lot of Buffy fans do. I do too. Like Spike is one of the most complicated characters and one of the most interesting characters. And Well, let's weigh in. But yeah. one of the big questions for Buffy fans is, are you a Buffy and Angel or a Buffy and Spike fan? Well, so I think where Angel's kind of boring, so I guess I'm pro-Spike. Spike. I just think he's a more interesting character. Or he just yeah. plays it more interestingly, so. Yeah. I, and I'm not sure if it's that he's a better character or just a more compelling actor. Yeah, He's Maybe definitely both. a more compelling actor. Mm-hmm. I have to go with Buffy and Angel just because it's... You guys didn't see very much great Angel stuff. I mean, you saw Bad Angel, but not, like, you didn't really get a lot of their romance. But um, just because it's so, like, aspirational of, like, having that, you know, it's the poetic, like, she's a slayer, he's a vampire. I mean, it's what Twilight was built around, Mm -hmm. even though, like, instead of being a slayer, she was just like, Buffy did uh, it. Whiny girl, (laughs) like, who had no agency or power. Spike is just a more interesting character to me. Yeah. He's sarcastic. Spike Spike is definitely more interesting. Angel's like tapioca pudding. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, he's a hot, bulky guy. Seriously. So Go on bones, Angel. Go on bones. <laughs> That's fair. I I mean, I've never thought David Boreanaz is like a particularly great actor. He's fun, but... He held his own in his own show. Yeah, David Boring Anus. Oh. Oof. Are we talking nice. about the body? Burn. Yeah, we can talk about the body. So season five was the most... <laughs> Let's talk about the body. It's curvy in all the right ways. <laughs> it was the most consistent season, I would say, of Buffy. Like... Almost every episode is up to a, like a pretty good level of quality, and it was very. It was definitely the most cohesive in that it had a clear vision from start to end. Like to spoil the end of season five, Buffy dies at the end. She again, yeah, for the second time, but in a much more dramatic fashion, where she's not just resurrected, and it's a, it's. A, I mean, she kills herself to sac- sacrifice to save her sister and to save the world. So. The whole season was building up to that. And so it's interesting that there's an episode like The Body in there that deals with death in a very different way. But Mm. the whole season is really kind of focused on death, as well as Fool for Love, because that's when Buffy's looking to see how slayers can be killed. She goes to Spike for information, and he um, wants to kill her at the end of this because he's so tortured by his feelings. So, And I think The Body um, really epitomizes what you were saying about the places that the show can go in tone. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at something like Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, that's like a goofball slapstick, like, complete goofy episode. Or even Earshot at some points can be very silly. Yeah. Um, And then you look at something like The Body, and it's just so... 
take such a more serious. And I, I think some of the times that Buffy is the most interesting is when it completely subverts the idea that it's separating you from these feelings by putting this wash of a metaphor of a demon world that is something that no one can relate to in real life. And then all of a sudden to pull the rug out from under you and be like, your mom died. Here is a realistic portrayal of some of the emotions that might happen. Mom, 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 For those who aren't familiar, the body starts with Buffy walking in and finding her mom dead on the couch. Mm-hmm. And so the entire like first sequence is just what happens when you find somebody you love that dies, like calling the police, calling, you know, waiting for the ambulance and like the feelings you go through. And when I first saw this, um, probably in college, when you were mm-hmm. like, watch this episode, I like cried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I cried. I cried through that scene. I cried through the next scene. When she tells um, her little sister, her little sister Dawn. Dawn, what the next scene when Willow is like deciding like what to wear to the funeral, um, like trying, trying to decide oh. like purple, like I'm the king of everything, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just like I, I, I know that there are monsters in somewhere in this episode, but like that's not what I remember at all. I just remember there's just like, one the, vampire, and it's pretty, yeah, it's just yeah. right at the end. But. Yeah, and I, and I also, I do think that she does give a very good performance in this episode, so I'll give her that. Like, yeah, and, and I really I, yeah. agreed, and and I mean there are there are character moments in this, especially with Buffy in particular, that really gave the appropriate amount of dramatic weight to what was being depicted, and there were also just really tiny moments that I picked up on like in the scene where she discovers her mom dead she sees her mom's skirt is kind of hiked up Mm -hmm. and instinctively like reaches to pull her skirt down and yeah it's it's painfully methodical about those traumatic shocking moments after discovering your your mom dead right in front of you and as a performance moment and as a character moment i thought that was like one of the strongest i think that episode was the strongest of the show that i've seen so you just wish every episode of buffy was the body like constant agony yeah. and just no, at, no just at the start of every episode she discovers her mother dead. <laughs> <laughs> um i want to talk about joyce for a little bit okay she's like the worst mom right <laughs> that's a fair <laughs> debate okay there's there are people se- who feel that way there's an episode Fuck you, and, I, joyce. and i i'm sorry i can't remember exactly who it was i may have been angel um, but he's like saying that, like, she's he's like, "Where's Buffy? I gotta see Buffy." And she's like, "You should go." <laughs> it was just like she was just reacting in a way that it was like if a real mom would have been like, "I'm calling the police!" Like, get you're threatening my family. Yeah. And she's just like, "I don't appreciate that." Or like another episode where Buffy's like, "Mom, you got to get out of town," and she's like, "Why would I go out of town?" <laughs> I was like, I sincerely what? could not she's believe like, that real- Joyce lived that long. I like, oh. yeah, she seemed like she the dumbest person so many alive. Times. Man, that's funny. And like, not like a real mom or a real person. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something that I'm just not going to say. Oh. Uh. <laughs> no, you have a state. So I think it's what the writing and I think it's the acting. Joyce is the kind I of mother like... who would let Buffy watch train spotting at age 14. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gavi, I love you. <laughs> We all love you, Gabby. I think that, like, the acting is bad, the character is bad, and, like, the best thing she ever did was die. (laughs) Yes! That's the title of the episode. Oh, my God. The best thing she ever did was die. Oh, my God. I mean, that's a valid criticism. I think a lot of times... I think a lot of times Joyce is written to be the oblivious mother, like, almost like you're... It's... Yeah, there's times that there's times that they expound on how 
completely ridiculously oblivious she is to what's going on in her daughter's life. And I think it's supposed to be a little bit of a metaphor for like, like we were, like I kind of mentioned before, this idea that there's so much going on internally in your internal monologue and you feel like as a teenager that you're dealing with all of these things that your parents couldn't possibly understand. And and I think I think sometimes the writers go a little bit overboard in making her completely oblivious and then sometimes more. Yeah, I didn't get the sense that there was stuff going on inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was more yeah. kind of a nothing going on inside and everything going on outside of yeah. her. And I'm just amazed she didn't die. A and lot she does sooner. do a lot of like classic. She terrible didn't even mom die by things. like a vampire. She just she died. She didn't even die by a vampire. Did she have a brain tumor or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Thanks, medical science. It would have been worse if she just like walked into a pole and just like fell over. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like the Joyce. pole. I, she definitely has her flaws as a mother. That's fine. <laughs> But I do, I like want to echo what Kevin said a little bit and just that like, it does expand on this feeling that I definitely had in high school and I think a lot of people do that your parents just don't know what's going on and your life is so dramatic in your opinion that like, I'm going through all this stuff and they couldn't possibly understand. And I love that scene. I, you were talking about passion, I think, is the scene you were talking about mm-hmm. where like they have the talk about sex and Joyce is coming at it from like a normal point uh, parent perspective where it's like, Oh, you had sex with a boy and, you know, now he's like bothering you. But Buffy knows the truth in that that, that like, like, like there's all this evil stuff going on. And I feel like that's how it does feel when you're young and your parents are trying to relate to you. And they're like, they kind of get the broad strokes of how you feel, but they're not getting like how important it is. And even though you can art like that's what the show, I think, really captures is like it's a metaphor for how much when you're in high school, all of this stuff feels like life and death, and it's mm-hmm. like feels like the apocalypse. I mean, you read my live journal entries mm-hmm. where uh-huh. I literally called out the apocalypse at certain events in my life, and that is how it felt to me, and I, I very much related to a lot of this show for that reason. The Body was a very good episode. It was, yes. How do you guys feel? You were mentioning uh, how you, like the body count in... The body count in uh, season one, how it felt like kind of flippant, how they were just like churning through all these different corpses and killings. There's there's some episode where I think some guys die at the school. Mm -hmm. I forget which episode. And then they're like, they're like, oh, no. And then like later they like defeat the baddie of the week and they're like, yay. And we're like, uh, there's like a couple people that died. So are there elements, are there elements in the back of your head when you're watching this one that like, it's strange now that we're looking at it from this perspective or not earned or, or does the subversion of the norm. So one difference to me, uh, watching this episode in particular is there, there is only that one vampire moment near the end Um, And there was a gravity and a seriousness to Buffy's struggle to defeat that person that did not come across in the uh, earlier episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, I still do think that all the kung fu moments are just so, are just so inorganic Mm -hmm. to me. Um, But seeing her actually struggle to defeat that Mm-hmm. Vampire, again, made it a more grounded moment in that episode, uh, even though I did think the kind of placement of it was kind of, felt kind of obligatory. 
Uh, yeah, I really like that struggle too. It's just that it feels very like raw and physical in a way. Yeah, that, it like, felt like there yeah. was actual physical weight. There's definitely to it. a heightened reality yes. to most of the fight scenes in the show, and yeah. that one was much more like a struggle to the death between I, two people. I think there's a complete non-reality to the other fight scenes in the show. I think it's like a beat 'em up like Street Fighter game. Yeah, when it goes it into Power those Rangers. scenes, but with that one in particular, I really and I also felt like. Uh, it, there was another earlier episode where uh, a vampire kind of kind of stakes her, mm-hmm. um, and I felt in in uh, similarly to that moment where like oh there is an actual risk to her in doing this. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is about the body and hush, if every episode was like that, I would be like a huge Buffy fan. Yeah. So whatever yeah. it is yeah. about those episodes, that's what I like about the show. You should watch Sleepless too. I that's, will. That's if in that that's same like, vein. Yeah. yeah it's restless. a dream. Restless. Oh, restless. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. Oh, I was like sleepless. This is an episode I don't know. It can possibly <laughs> exist. Restless. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah, that's a, it's a dream. I probably episode, showed so her really restless fun. at yeah. some point. I spared you that one for this one. <laughs> so the end of season five um, is when Buffy moved out of the WB and to UPN, and it also was the end of Joss Whedon as the main showrunner of the show. So it kind of ends an era, and also. Buffy died. I graduated. There was a lot of closure at the end of this season. <laughs> like I was, I could only really go on to college if Buffy was dead for the summer, and I needed to move on with my own life. And it kind of ends when I was a regular viewer of Buffy because in season six and seven I was in college and I didn't actually watch every episode live. It was like I would oh, catch wow. it when I could. Well, we but, didn't have DVRs back then. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So like, if I was busy on a Tuesday night, like, sorry, couldn't take all those VCRs with you to college. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I guess we will also talk a little bit about Once More with Feeling, Yay. which is the um, musical episode, and our focus is on fun. <laughs> uh, it aired on November 6, 2001, so it, it, it's actually like, yeah, like out of our our date range. No, that, was more, that was like more than 15 years ago, so it's okay. I guess so, okay. Yeah. And also I will say that I have a ranking of Buffy episodes on my blog. Of course this was you do. the highest ranking episode we've discussed today. It's at number four. And you can find it on hardinthecity.com. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where does it rank on your list of all the things you have ever seen? Number four. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> the top 25 are all Buffy, and then there's other it's things that four. I've seen. Okay. Every single night, the same arrangement. I go out and fight the fight. Still I always feel the strangest estrangement Nothing here is real, nothing here is right I've been making shows of trading blows Just hoping no one knows That I've been going through the motions Walking through the part Nothing seems to penetrate my heart I love this episode I have since it was the first thing I ever saw, and I love the music, and I'll sing it right now for you. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I walk the fire and it freezes me. Wow, you're no Sarah Michelle Gellar as a singer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a... Um, I f- it's funny because like, La La Land is something that people are talking a lot about, and they're making a big deal out of like... They're not real singers. Mm-hmm. It's more realistic. And I'm like, they did that in Buffy, and at least they had a reason why they were singing in Buffy. Um, <laughs> him and La La Land. Let's not trash La La Land, okay? 
let's, let's please do that. Let's, let's, let's hurt you for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> it's Becky's turn. Hey, wait a second. I'm getting double whammied on this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we brought you here specifically for a double whammy. So Joss Whedon wrote the music and lyrics. Yes. And I'm so like mad that he doesn't do this more often. Like yeah, I know he did Dr. Horrible, which I, I do like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just like, I honestly think like the songs are so catchy and the lyrics are so good. And if you have that skill, you should use it more often. And this was his first attempt at really writing music too. I mean, it's kind of crazy that it's this, like I think the songs in the, not to well, like harp on La La Land, but I think like the music in this episode is like so much richer and better and just catchier than. I know that Joss Whedon went to Wesleyan College and I had a friend at Wesleyan when this episode aired and they did like a live version of it like kind of like Rocky Horror where they played it and Mm. people played the parts and like sang it while it was going on and I was like I would have flown in (laughs) I would have flown in to watch that like I want to do that (laughs) yeah this is a TV episode with its own soundtrack like that was on CD at the time and I have the songbook you know it's very rare for one particular TV episode to have its own merchandise you know and Mm. it was played in like theaters you know for sing-alongs I never went to one but yeah it's like a real, like, this episode exists almost separately from the show itself and is its own, like, cult phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I would say that it's probably the best musical episode of any show besides, yeah. I mean, I really Including like... Including Glee. Well, I was going to say <laughs> besides, like, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but I feel like uh-huh. it's its own thing because every yeah. single yeah. week is its own true. musical. Yeah. Um, but uh, as far as like you know the one-off musicals like Scrubs did one like it became a thing. Daria. Where, yeah. What, what really? Yeah. Oh wow, I didn't know that. I didn't um, either. But like it became a thing where like the the show would have the musical episode, um, and I think this is the best out of all of them. Yeah, I think oh, so far. too. Yeah. It's very interesting too. Again, we were talking about tone before and how body kind of switched up the tone of Buffy overall. This season, season six, is notoriously. Um, kind of, it's almost like a point of contention for some fans. A lot of people really didn't like season six because it got so dark, but not not even in a way that was like dark, scary, but dark, like moody and brooding, yeah. and and it, it was basically like a metaphor for depression, essentially, and mm-hmm. and sort of like quarter life crisis. I'm now out of college. What do I do with my life? You know, um, and so th- it was very interesting to me always that this episode takes place in season six because it's just so totally different until the mm-hmm. very end when her like discovery moment it's like there's this darkness underneath it but it was so so different than what was going on in the show at that time which was interesting which makes me wonder if you guys would like season six more because it's a little yeah. bit more like round I, I happen to really yeah. season six is one of my top seasons and I a do, lot of people don't like yeah. it it's not I own it's season not six favorites. because you lent it to me yeah and you've never gave it back <laughs> and I've never given it back <laughs> <laughs> that musical episode has been worn it's alright I have the complete I know that's why I've never given it own. back because I want to keep the musical episode but it does Seth, create what a did whole you think of the musical episode. Nah. It was pretty good. Nah. It was pretty good. Like okay. I said, I, I thought the all the instrumentation and the music was so Broadway in the the rent uh in the in the fashion of a musical like rent. Um and I hate the instrumentation of shows like that just because it's so demonstrative in the way that you were critiquing the kind of performance style of the dialogue earlier. I felt like it was very much look at their show. We're all singing now. Um, But that said, um, I thought it was, 
ironically very well grounded and well considered in playing out the way that the characters were reacting to that happening to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, that's so what I really kind of excuses some of the like yeah. cheesiness in the characters. Not, I felt like not I, everyone's a great singer, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll address that in a second, but I felt <laughs> like it totally it totally worked for me as an episode of the show because it really did ground that in both in the monster of the week is that like, that's kind of his whole shtick. Um, and I thought that actor that they got for that was really good. Oh, he's really amazing. Sold yeah. He's really um, in battle. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that said, I thought the, the singing was terrible. Uh, the <laughs> auto tune of Sarah Michelle Geller was fucking unbearable. I've, I've grown to love it because of how much I've listened to it. It sounds like shares believe. I um, went to watch the auto tune did. I went time oh, listened to this. Chris, All right. I'm not going to fight with you. On I one time listened to the album in a, on a road trip with my parents, uh, on our way up to my college town. And my mom couldn't stop. Like, she was just like, please That's turn so this funny, off. That like, happened with these my people dad. can't <laughs> sing. They were, they were like so confused because they didn't have any context of like the storyline or the fact that they're not singers. They were just like, why are these people on a musical? I played it for my dad in the track too. And like, it was like the first song, Sarah Michelle Gellar's. And he's like, oh, she can't sing. And I was like, so wounded. Because I did not. I was like, oh, it's good. You is know? that when you fell out of the car? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But, but Giles is good. Spike is good. And yeah. Don I loved, is good. So I love Giles. Giles has sang before. Giles like, has sang in earlier episodes. Really? Yeah. He's oh, supposed he's to like good. have like a rock band back I, lo- yeah. I loved him. I really liked Spike. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't the best singer, but I thought he really sold it. Yeah. Anya's got some... Some vocal Willow yeah. was fucking terrible. Oh my god, too. they she didn't even let her sing. She yeah. asked specifically to not have any yeah. <laughs> songs. So, so yeah, but I mean, that's the gambit of the show is that like they're real people singing, and so I mean, I enjoy listening to the soundtrack, but I've since then kind of been like, ah, oh, yes, this is not necessarily the best singing I've ever heard. Also, I thought it had some great humor moments, like yeah. the people randomly singing about how they couldn't find parking. Yeah, yeah. Like, got, they, what is it? They, they got, got the, mustard. the mustard out. Yeah, they yeah. it was. I, I thought both that of was the people who sing great. those songs, by the way, are sh- writers for the show. Yeah. So it's yeah. David Fury and Marty Knox, who's the eventual showrunner oh, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, which I think like we can talk about its le- legacy a little bit. I mean, we already went over it, but it was part of this wave of the late 90s that, you know, Clueless and Scream and Buffy kind of started. And then I feel like the late 90s, I don't know if this is just because we're teenagers, but it feels like everything was teenage just in those mm-hmm. like last few years of of it. Whereas like the early 90s was a very different, It's like a lot of decades have a whole narrative around them but I feel like the 90s is very much split by like 1996 mm-hmm. to 2000 was its own thing entirely yeah so we'll I see mean, that's interesting that not to delve too deep into that but I wonder how much of that is just from the consequence of all those technologies of the 90s and methods of viewing things changing because in any previous, like, of course, all generations are socially constructed things. But, like, in previous generations, there would be, like, one or two shows that obviously would get 20 or 30 million sets of eyes on them rather yeah. than nine at the most, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, like, the with the, like, prol- prolifer- prol- proliferation of channels and different platforms, like, how that played into it just as much as the kind of show that it was, you know? Yeah, and this is also like a time, like Buffy's one of the first shows that had a big online fan base. And so that was mm-hmm. really helped build the cultishness, I think, that still pervades today because people are still 
very much like if you're into Buffy, like you can immediately bond with someone, which is probably how mm-hmm. Kevin and I first bonded, <laughs> like for real. Yeah, it might even just be like, for real. Um, and well, yeah, and I feel like X Files and Buffy were really the two first, as well, the yeah. first two online shows. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, X Files is credited as like the first yeah. show with, that was really made by its online fan base, and really, but but I definitely felt much like we were talking about Blair Witch Project as being like the first yeah, viral the first movie. movie. Mm. Um, I definitely like feel like Buffy and X Files were kind of like the first online community. Where like those shows. fans were really kind of a part of the show in the way, and even like yeah. driving the show. I mean, because like Buffy was never huge in the ratings, but has a ton of merchandise, and mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. it must have made so much money just like from ancillary like avenues. And I think there's dozens of shows at least that wouldn't exist right now if Buffy had never yeah. been on. Like a lot of shows that mix horror and comedy. Yeah, True Blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Twilight. Absolutely. I don't think Twilight would yeah. have been a thing really without Buffy. I think too. Um, one of the really talking about Buffy as a legacy. I think I I don't remember where I've read this, but Joss Whedon um, wants Buffy at one point wanted Buffy to become something along the lines of like a comic book hero, like a Superman, something where it's there's like this core storyline, but people can take it and like redo the brand and reboot it and you know write fan fiction and you know that it can become something like Buffy as a character can become something bigger than like this movie and this TV show Um, and so as far as a legacy I would love I'm still crossing my fingers for when that's going to come to fruition and and well so I'm curious are any of the kind of comics that are out there any of the other novelizations or anything are those considered canon yep they're actually kind called of, yeah, yeah yeah they're called season eight I mean season, season eight, eight and season, season nine oh, okay. yeah so they're oh. literally canon yeah. interesting I mean it, I read them differently because they get really fantastical yeah because they can like, do more because it's a cartoon essentially yeah so if you yeah. don't think that this is the show is grounded you really will yeah. not okay I mean the, I think the comics are good but not like they're not Buffy to me exactly yeah. they're like kind of like not my Buffy. I get to hang out with my friends yeah. for a little bit longer but they're not as cool as they used to be yeah they go weird places and Angel the spoiler alert the finale <laughs> of Angel like there's an apocalypse in LA so like in all of the comic books LA is just a complete like destroyed post-apocalyptic world so like they just start like to go really off the rails yeah. with like the the actual world of the show I feel like I'd probably be a better, a bigger fan of the later seasons. Yeah, because of the last three we talked about, I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there was sense. some. There was some. I I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's some like production quality weirdness that happened with the switch over to UPN. Yeah, it's like they're like. I don't know about you guys, but there was I liked the show Dexter, but there was always something about its production quality that like made me really distance hmm. myself from being completely immersed in it and there were some similar issues with season six and seven they just felt like they were different i mean they probably had to i think it was just that joss wasn't running the show yeah but he just came back for the musical yeah he did the musical he writes yeah he would write and direct direct certain episodes but he was mostly working on angel and okay firefly yeah right uh i was curious if you'd heard anything about any kind of reboot or reimagining of Buffy. There was about to be a movie reboot that had nothing to do with Joss Whedon, nothing to do with any of the cast of the show. Oh boy. And everyone was so mad about it <laughs> that I think they have abandoned 
any Did idea the internet put that. a stop to that? But see, that's what I want. That's what I was talking about with yeah. like that becoming a legacy. Like if you really want to become something that's like a cultural like main play like main character and something that's going to resonate forever, you've got to relinquish that at some point. Yeah, and I Plus, think Angel looks point. a lot older. <laughs> that's does. starting to yeah, get he's ridiculous. He's supposed to be ageless because he's a vampire. But yeah, <laughs> you look at him. If you look <laughs> at him at really the premiere, the way. pilot of or the episode Angel, he's so, like, Buffy. Skinny and, oh my like, god, toned. he's so young. Yeah, um, and then there, there is always like random. <laughs> Sorry, David. Discussion of <laughs> Sorry, an David. actual movie. He's one of our fans. <laughs> I don't think he is, <laughs> especially after this episode. Um, there Sousaphone is Colossus. Is David Boreanaz? <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, there is talk about the cast like reconvening for a movie. Like they always are, like maybe, and that's it. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I don't know if I want it to. Seems happen. Seems like it won't happen. It yeah, seems at this like point, it would I mean... be really difficult for Sarah. She's like closer to forty than thirty at this point. I think. Oh, so yeah. she'd play twenty now. <laughs> oh. She'd be in middle school. And yeah. and those but those uh comic books are canon too. So there'd Buffy have to be some kind babies. of <laughs> Yeah. You'd have to uh, that, and What would you say Buffy baby? Yeah. <laughs> I mean they I make have, your death come true. I would of course be excited if something like that happened, but I would also be very very nervous cuz almost never do those things turn out. <laughs> it's true. With Seth it's and true. the X-Files, I think that didn't turn out Yeah, well we're too close back. to it. I think what, any, the, any successful... Those, those revival episodes were just the best of the... <laughs> <laughs> we'll be trashing that soon so that I, I can wait. stick the knife into <laughs> Seth's heart for no, a change. Please, no, please do. No, stab Chris Carter. <laughs> so we are all in agreement that Buffy is the best show of all time, right? Yes. Oh, I'm not, not sure why I said <laughs> Me and Seth are. I heard unanimously that. yes. I'm Sean Spicering this. I heard every unanimous assent with my opinions. Your words. Your words. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's our show. Um, that's all the Buffy that. I mean, that's not all the Buffy I have time for. That's all but the Buffy I have time for. That's certainly all the Buffy that there's time for in this household. <laughs> But we're uh, very me, glad me we Chris are going to go have another uh, four-hour conversation about uh, some other episodes <laughs> that we didn't get to really grill. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Kevin, where can we follow you on the social media oh, if people yeah. are interested in you because Give us they your like handles. Buffy and not yeah. Becky and Seth? It's true, it's true. Uh, you can follow me at at old for Hamlet. That's the number four on Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. What does that mean? I've always wondered. Uh, it's actually a... I took it from a lyric from a, a James song. <laughs> oh man! Wow. Ooh. All right, we'll cut that out. Go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, thank you for coming by and, yeah. and talking Buffy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Yeah, our next episode will be on "Now That's What I Call Music" Volume One. Can't um, wait. <laughs> so, some really great pop singles from the late '90s at some point. And also, we'll, of course, throw in Pure Moods and all the other jock jams, <laughs> all the yeah. other great compilations <laughs> that graced our TV screens. <laughs> Yeah, because this is what these people think is better than Buffy the Vampire Slayer, apparently. <laughs> we don't know if it's better. We'll find out when we no, listen to it again. these people. It's not better. <laughs> what do you mean, these people? <laughs> I will not be present for this show. I, I disavow both of these people. <laughs> They're horrible, horrible people. You're stuck with us. Goodbye. Bye forever. <laughs>
Well, the When We Were Young show is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on the social medias, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at www.yshow. You can connect with us on Facebook at www.yshow. You can email us at www.yshow at gmail.com to give us suggestions for future episodes and subscribe to us on iTunes, as well as leaving us all your fanciful, loving reviews on iTunes. So again, we have some idea of where we stand with you people. And finally, you can contribute to us through Patreon at patreon.com slash when we were young and help us defray the cost of a show that we produce entirely for free to bring to you. Wait, guys, I forgot a really important point. I'm just going to jump in for like another hour. No more.